0: This is the dumbest fucking thing we've ever recorded. I just, I need that. I love it. On it's record. F- okay, good. Happy birthday. The <laughs> floor on thunder, shine on lightning. The days are long and the nights are frightening. Nothing
1: matters anyway and that's the hell of it.
0: And gentlemen, of those who do not believe in a gender binary, welcome back to Directors Club Podcast. I'm Patrick Rapol, and with me is Jim. Hey, Jim, how you doing?
2: Oh, I'm good. I just turned 43. Isn't that weird?
0: It is very weird. It's weird for me to think about. So me and Jim like to do special episodes for his birthday, and I thought this year we could do something really special, because uh, I know Jim is a really big fan of this podcast called Dr. Game Show, where they sort of play newly invented games and every episode i think we're not going to do that because that show is mostly one person not wanting to play and the other person getting mad which is like i'm glad jim likes it i don't get it but we were are going to do a whole bunch of uh games and segments and stuff like that um so this is the very first segment there are 42 more segments to come um i have just introduced the premise to you how about we go on to our next segment jim Number two. So you were born in 1978, but I thought we might start off by just going over our favorite films of 1978. Jim, what's your favorite mm. film of 1978?
2: I almost feel like it's it's too
0: obvious, you know? But. I think we might have the same one then. Do you want to just say it at the same time? Okay. One, two, three. Halloween. John Carpenter. <laughs> Oh, you decided. got all
2: fancy. Yeah, I don't know why I wanted to say John Carpenter's Halloween, but okay. It is it is Halloween.
0: That's your favorite too?
2: Yeah, um there's also this movie that I caught up with maybe a year or two ago <laughs> called Girlfriends, which the Criterion Collection put out. Oh yeah. Came out in nineteen seventy eight that I highly, highly recommend. I'm I need to watch it again too, because I remember watching it late at night but also going, Oh, This is the origin of, like, girls
0: and Greta Gerwig right here. I would say probably the best movie of 1978 is Blue Collar. Um, Oh, that's true. That's true. But Halloween is, like, the personal favorite. I can't, I I will never get over being in middle school and watching Halloween and having my head exploded and having nightmares for years.
2: Yeah, I think Halloween, Girlfriends, Blue Collar, and uh, the Phil Kaufman's Invasion of the Body Snatchers.
0: Sure. Also, Dawn of the Dead, Gates of Heaven, oh, right. big ones for that year. Killer of Sheep is good too. Mm-hmm. But uh, no, it's got to be. It's got to be Halloween. I think. I, I. I wonder if there's anyone who didn't grow up in the suburbs who loves Halloween the same way. Because for me, it just feels quintessential. Like there's there's something very elemental and like okay, no, that is my childhood. I because I grew up in the suburbs. Halloween speaks to me in a way no other John Carpenter movies even more ambitious and perhaps better made John Carpenter movies speak to me. Number three. So the next segment is a game called Music Supervisor. This is a game I used to play a whole lot with my ex-girlfriend Carly when we'd be driving around. Um, I'd have my iPod on shuffle and we would play this game where a song would come up and then we'd take turns doing this. We'd have to come up with how the song fits into a movie. Like, what scene is happening as the song plays? Or, like, what trailer would have this song featuring it? Or, like, what opening or closing credits? And we would just start, like, making up sort of movies to go with specific songs. All right, so for Music Supervisor, what we've done is we've had Jim send me an MP3 of a song. I don't know what this is. I'm going to listen to it for the first time right now. Um And as I listen to it, I'm going to have to sort of talk out whether this is in the opening credits or the closing credits or, like, the trailer of a movie and describe what kind of movie would have this song. Three, two, one, play. Oh, yeah, for sure. Okay. So what this is... Um... There is this... It, it's basically a monster movie. It's like a horror movie of some sort. It's like all of our intrepid heroes. It's like an unlikely group of friends of... <laughs> so it's like it's like a group of like unlikely heroes get together like uh, the Wizard of Oz or something and they think that they've beat it and it's like it's just dawn you know and they're walking down this long road because the car that they used to get out to the middle of nowhere it's exploded and stuff and they're all covered in ash and blood and whatever and they're just sort of like everything's back to normal and then the camera sort of cranes down to reveal the monster twitching it gets back up and it's watching them walk down the road. And then it cuts to the credits, and that's like the, oh man, there's gonna be a sequel sort of a teaser. I think maybe they did that in Slither. So that's a classic sort of a thing. Also, because of the type of song, this is obviously this is one of those like 80s throwback movies that's on shutter. <laughs> it's like it's like ragtag group of kids, this is a total stranger things kind of a thing that has this. this is this Phil Collins or Genesis?
2: No, it sounds like it, but you're pretty you're pretty good at this cuz this is from a movie I haven't seen called The Last Horror Film. Really? From 1982 and it was composed by Jesse Frederick who <laughs> would go on to compose the theme to Full House.
0: Oh, classic. They kinda, the kind of the the vocals sound the same actually. Yeah, uh. it's pretty interesting that guy's career. All those Miller Boyette theme songs of Full House and Family Matters and Step by Step all have that, like, weird kind of sound to them.
1: All right,
0: so for this segment, um, we're going to do something that is a I think a very fun conversation starter. It's a good icebreaker. It was uh, what we talked about on my very first date with my uh, current partner, um, which is interesting because we're four years apart, so we had very different takes on this, which is what is the most 90s song ever? What is the song that to you most most typifies the 1990s? Um, Jim, how about you start?
2: This for me was very easy because every time I hear it, I just immediately flashback to hearing it for the first time with some friends in a basement while they're all getting stoned. And that is uh, Sex and Candy
0: by Marcy Playground. That was my second choice. That's not what I went with, but that was my choice for a while. That is so fucking, you know, what's funny about that. It's so 90s because it's like all 70s references. (laughs) Yeah. And the video is painfully 90s. Oh, yeah, for sure. That, like, uh, kind of Tim Burton-y uh, uh, sort of striped uh, landscape sort of thing. His head is sticking out of, and he's just so disaffected. Yeah, it's considered a post-grunge song with elements of psychedelic. I'm like. Okay. You know what's really, what's really funny is I like that song, like the recording. Like, I think, oh, yeah, that's a good song. I like that. All right. Um, when I think of just like random nineties, one hit wonders, I'm like, yeah, that's in the good category. I saw a video of him playing it on Letterman and I was instantly like, Oh, this fucking sucks. How like, there's something about that, like snotty, uh, kind of disaffected attitude that when you're performing mm-hmm. it live, just is uns, insufferable in a way that like on the record, it's totally bearable.
2: Yeah. Like, yeah. Like they just look indifferent like all right we're doing this thing we're playing our song right. we played a million times and right exactly right. it's like
0: okay well I guess I'm not I'm not excited to hear it either Marcy playground Jesus um mine is actually a song you've covered which is Steal My Sunshine
2: Ooh <laughs> I forgot about that
0: yeah that that's Steel? fun <laughs> the sound of the sound of Steal My Sunshine like the beat of it the weird like it was that era when just all of a sudden everything had like hip hop like drum loops in it, but no one knew what to do with them. But it was just like randomly rock songs and pop songs all just had like kind of hip hop drums in them, um, mm-hmm. and it, and it's just like the rapping is just like it's, this is nonsense. This is totally without meaning or content or anything. Um, it's just, it, I mean, it's a different era of the 90s. This is like late 90s as opposed to sort of the, I guess it's really probably only a year removed from Sex and Candy, but to me it seems like this is like welcome to the 2000s era 90s. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um,
2: the other one I it, thought of was Tub Thumping.
0: Tub Thumping is very 90s for sure. Very good song, actually. Yeah, I kind of like it. I this next segment is called Metronomes, and what it is is me and Jim are going to assign each other BPMs, and we're going to have take out metronomes, and we're going to set the metronomes to those respective BPMs, and we're going to have a conversation about fantasy films, because the name of the segment is Metronomes with a G. So <laughs> oh you're lucky, Jim. At some point, this also required us to talk in like, weird gnome voices. <laughs> oh, no. I don't think I can pull that off an wow. earlier rule set and then I, I I thought about it a little bit and I'm like actually the way fantasy movies use people with dwarfism and stuff kind of fucking sucks and I don't mm-hmm. want to add to that so I decided to ditch that rule but um I'm gonna go ahead and assign you a BPM Jim it's 108
2: let's see Well, this we'll play oh okay so right, now you will assign I, me one since you talk faster let's go one two three
0: all right, 123, here we go. You hear that? Yeah.
2: I got right. I got oh. mine too, so.
0: Okay, is it going?
2: Uh, it can. So, right. you want me, me to go to first? On
0: and then we're going to have a conversation. Oh, <laughs> so, how so is this going to so
2: work forward. if we're at different BPMs? <laughs>
0: It's going to be one syllable at a time, so I'm going to wait for you to finish your thought, and then I'm going to reply in my BPM. Wow! All right. Okay. Now remember, you have to do one syllable per beat. You can't skip a beat. So, um, uh, I'm actually, I'm going to start off. I'm going to ask you a question, and then you're going to respond. And you have to make sure to hit every syllable on a beat. Wow! Um, until your until your statement is done. All right.
2: Okay. Okay, so here we go. I have no idea what I'm doing, but I'll try.
0: Let's see. Okay, let's turn on our metronomes.
2: Okay. Oh, my gosh. But hearing yours is distracting.
0: All right. um, (laughs) The problem is I don't know how to talk to you. Um, Luckily, we're not going to have a lot of overlap, so I think that's going to make this work. All right, here we go. Tim, did you like Lord of the Rings when it came out?
2: <laughs> Sorry. Um Yes, I did at the time. <laughs> I think I did it right. Okay. What do you think of Lord of the Rings now? I haven't rewatched it in a while. If I
0: said you were a fan of sci-fi movies, would that be correct? Yes, it
2: would, I think they're good, and I enjoy 2001.
0: So what is the thing you think that stops you from getting into fantasy movies the same way?
2: I'm not sure. I can't tell you why. Oops. <laughs> I just started going faster. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I wait okay. I like Neil Gaiman
0: number 6 So this next segment is called Cinema Ballads and what it is is I've gone through your Letterbox history and I found a movie that you've watched somewhat recently uh, I want to say like in the past 3 months you've seen this movie Oh boy um, and I want you to just sort of improvise a song that is you telling me the plot, so it doesn't necessarily all need to rhyme. It doesn't necessarily, but you know, like this is how you write songs to begin with: is you just sort of find a chord progression on the guitar and you start improvising, sort of melody, vocal melodies around it, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and in this case, you don't have to worry about them rhyming or fitting a certain meter or anything. Um, so, for this cinema ballad, I would like you to sing me a song about the movie. I start counting.
2: Really. Wow, okay. From the 60s, um, I
0: believe.
2: Yeah, and it's it's really good, and in fact, um, I don't want to get this wrong again, but I believe...
0: 1969, directed by David Green.
2: Yeah, I believe uh, Fun City Editions, I want to say, just put out the Blu-ray, and I highly, highly recommend the Blu-ray that, have, that has just come out. Um, okay. Uh, J- <laughs> Jenny, a gutter, plays a 14-year-old girl. She has an unrequited crush. On her thirty two year old stepbrother, but it appears that he might be a killer. So there's a mystery as we learn about her and she has a flirty best friend and I can't remember everything that happens (laughs) but it's really great and I guess Phil Collins makes an appearance (laughs) at one point that's all I know about I start counting okay because it really is just about like It's a coming of age movie mixed with a murder mystery. Sure, but not a lot happens. (laughs) Like, I mean, there is a couple of murders, but it's really we're just following her, following him. When I was watching it, though, it had a bit
0: of like a uh, early flaming lips vibe to me.
2: Okay, yeah, it's
0: like I think the chords might like chewing the apple of your eye or
2: something. Because I think the chords were similar to. Waiting for Superman, maybe. Ooh. Asked you a question. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I didn't need you to reply. That's beautiful.
0: Number seven. So, this next segment is called 21st Century Listoid Man. And this is a little <laughs> bit more involved. Um, this is probably the most work <laughs> that I had to do uh, for, um, as far as any of these games go. So what we have done is we have made lists of our favorite songs of every year of the 21st century that appears on the Billboard Top one, like Hot 100 year-end list. It's not our favorite songs of the year. It's only like the most popular, most radio played, most mainstream songs that we had to choose from. Jim, what's your favorite song of the year 2000?
2: I try to say goodbye, say goodbye, and, and I, I choke. choke. Try to walk got away, and I stumbled. stumbled.
0: Same, same one. We got the same one for sure.
2: Yeah, I'll never get that song out of my head. It's always it's there Fantastic. forever.
0: Uh, Two thousand and one. What's your favorite?
2: I'm sorry, Miss Jackson. That was for the sure. discovery yes. of of Outcast for me. I know they made that's music. The a, yeah, I, I know they made a lot of music before that, but mm-hmm. that's when I finally decided. Hmm, maybe I should try college. So I went to. Purdue Calumet in Hammond, Indiana, and worked as an audiovisual technician. And uh, man, if <laughs> that song was so ubiquitous in everybody's yeah. iPod—or not iPod—jeez, uh, boombox. Maybe we had a boombox in the back back then. Back then, you had CD player.
0: You just called. That, yeah, players? yeah, yeah. I think there was more mostly discmans. You were you were listening to Stankonia for sure. That was that was that was a lot of people's introduction because that was sort of their breakthrough. Um, album that's i mean i was in 2001 i was like 14 or 13 so that was my introduction to outcasts as well fantastic song but my favorite song of 2001 is get your freak on by missy Elliott. sure Um, that Shimbalin beat is just untouchable probably not as thoughtful a song I I know it's not as thoughtful a song as Miss Jackson but get your freak on still a fucking banger love that song 2002 what's your favorite song
2: why'd you have to go and make things so complicated I really like like Avril Lavigne yeah I I love that
0: album actually it's good really for me I'm sticking with my girl Missy Elliott work it by Missy Elliott oh good one uh, maybe a better song than "Get Your Freak On." Certainly has a more inscrutable hook. Uh, for 2003, what are you doing?
2: I'm going to lose myself in the music in
0: the moment. Really?
2: That's that's the only Eminem song I really love. Actually,
0: you know what's funny is I've listened to some. I've gone back and listened to some Eminem songs, and he is like talented as a, as a rapper, the same way like King Bey is talented as a guitar player. Oh yeah. As 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 a person who produces music, all of Eminem's music fucking sucks. Like. <laughs> Yeah. All the songs are really hard to listen to. I don't
2: know. Like this, this era and the cleaning out the closet, uh, Mm -hmm. I think it was the same year.
0: Yeah. That's all Eminem show.
2: Yeah. I, 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 I think that stuff holds up pretty well. It's not like I go back to it over and over, but I think after that, I, I, he lost the plot. For me, sure.
0: So I think lose your I think lose yourself is, is a very respectable choice. I just I think his voice is irritating in a way that I don't want to listen to any of his music at all, except for maybe this song. Um, for me, it's Crazy in Love, Beyonce featuring Jay Z. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um, I always thought of myself as a uh, someone who didn't really like Beyonce and who always feels dumb because everyone is like Beyonce's the greatest thing that's ever existed, and I've always just been like I don't. Like listening to her music very much, but there are actually two Beyonce songs on this uh, list of mine.
2: Yeah, if you gave me a Beyonce's greatest hits CD, I wouldn't throw it back in your face. I'd keep it. I'd keep it. Yeah.
0: So what's your 2004?
2: (laughs) Another ubiquitous Outcast song. I don't know if I want to listen to it though, because it was so overplayed. And that's Hey Ya.
0: Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. It's a great song. It is. Um, I, I, that's a song that was on, that was my choice for a while, and then as I was looking more, I was like, you know what, it's that thing, I don't want to listen to it anymore. But, that's a great song, but I'm just, I don't want to listen to it. Meanwhile, I think my favorite Kanye West song from this era is All Falls Down.
2: Oh, okay.
0: Um, next one, 2005. Jim, what do you have?
2: So when I saw Boy Genius, uh, two or three years, I don't even know what time is anymore, but two or three years ago... They did a cover of um, Can You Read My Mind by The Killers. Okay. And I was yeah, yeah. so floored by that. I went back and started listening to The Killers again. And I realized that I'm Mr. Brightside. That's
0: my choice. Really? Wow, I hate that song. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, just, I remember, like, I have a very strong memory of Homecoming. Because um, I was still in high school when this song came out and we were at homecoming and Mr. Brightside came on and we all like everyone I was with just thought it was dumb as hell and we were all like we had the best time in the world we were on the dance floor and we were all like lip syncing to it like as melodramatic as we possibly could Mr. Brightside to me has always been like a subject of mockery whether or not it's a good song which I don't think it's a bad one I just think I've never been a fan Um, for me Best Song in 2005 is One Thing by Amory
2: I don't know if I've heard that I bet I have, There's I just don't
0: know It's got this fucking crazy drum loop. I don't know I don't know enough about music production to know to describe how the drums are produced but it just, like, it, the drums got this crazy kind of uh, echo or reverb on them, like they're just played in this kind of tight room and whoever is playing them is going fucking wild, and it's a pop song that has like, live drumming on it like super, um ostentatiously like conspicuously live drumming it's it's it fucking rips uh, you should listen to uh, one thing by Amory after we're done um anyway what's your favorite song of 2006
2: another obvious choice but i think i'm crazy yeah,
0: yeah we're, we're in agreement there
2: you can make a hit song um, with four chords yeah i mean i don't know what became of, of uh of this group, they didn't
0: really do much together, right? Well, no, they're not really a group. They were, this was like a project more than they were. A group. Ah, okay. Um Green and, and Danger, Danger Mouse. Yeah. Uh, what's your favorite song of 2007?
2: Okay, so this is this is a big surprise because, again, late to the party, but you introduced me to it. <laughs> My Chemical Romance. Welcome to the Black really? Parade. Now, now listen, like I don't. I don't follow this band i'm not hip i i i didn't really get into them at the time they were huge and i think this is an awesome epic i really do yeah i love yeah, the yeah. lyric i love this the vocals my, this so my much song
0: 2007 as well yeah for sure it and rules obviously on a previous episode of this podcast i did a <laughs> i did a complete length like, parody of it about flight of the navigator so i'm kind of a fan of this song
2: yeah i'll I'll listen to some songs of theirs here and there but but i'm not i'm not of that mindset to really commit
0: because even when this kind of emo was really popular it wasn't really my thing i was never really i never really felt i always thought it was kind of silly like when i was the age where it was supposed to be speaking to me the most but like when I look back on it, I'm like, "Ah, you are in denial, dude. You've totally felt this like um, um, what's your favorite song in 2008 it's a, It's a surprise
2: because it's not necessarily a band i I love again, like first couple albums I do, but this song is just ridiculously catchy, and apparently it's been, it's been accused of plagiarizing a number of things, and that's uh "Viva la Vida" by Coldplay. Really? Ba, 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 ba. I just love that. I don't love them that much anymore, to be honest, but no. that song still works for me whenever it comes up.
0: Yeah, I, I I have to admit, I kind of, Coldplay is one of those things where I go back to Coldplay and I read the lyrics or like I just actually pay attention to lyrics and I go, oh, this is kind of what it, like this is kind of blonde, kind of uninspired and lame, but like I have to, like clocks and the scientists still really speak to me. Oh, sure. Um, for me, my favorite song of two thousand eight, I got to go back to Kanye West um, with "Flashing Lights." Ba, 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 ba. Wow, I forgot about this one. Yeah. Oh man, that beat. Um, I think what is the Curtis Mayfield song that it samples? The um, but that beat is so fucking good when those synths come in and. He's, and the rapping is just really, really good, and the subject matter is really cool and the music video spike Jones shot is fucking sick as hell
2: oh, I'll have to watch um, that i haven't
0: uh, what's your favorite song in two thousand
2: nine I don't know it's one of those things where it's like I don't know if this is cool or not, but i I like Taylor Swift, and this was the first song I heard from from her
0: This is the point uh where I have to say like two thousand nine I was totally checked out of popular music and not really paying attention to any of it. So this is the point where I'm sort of being like, oh, I'm like looking at a lot of these songs and being like, I feel like I've heard of this artist, but I don't know what this is. And a yeah. Swift song I've never heard of. So my favorite song of 2009 is Single Ladies by Beyonce. Good choice, Patrick. Just a very weird um, composition uh, with lots of interesting, like old arcade sound effects and shit in it. Mm. That's just like... That's just a cool-ass song, and I think everyone knows why. So what's your favorite song of 2010? It's a song I covered.
2: Again, it, it surprises me because when I first heard Lady Gaga, I was like, nope, not for me. But I I, I grew to love bad romance over time. It took me a while. Yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, it's like I had to look past the rah, blah, blah, blah that part I was like mm, yeah. I don't think I like that part but I like everything else about it. That's a catchy song
0: It is. I, But for me and this is a song that you remember back when we went to DeKalb and we did the Scrambler where everyone did these three song cover oh sets. Oh my god that was crazy
2: yeah I did like Warren Zevon and stuff. Yeah you
0: did You did a great Warren Zevon set um, and uh, someone did a sort of a almost a performance art piece where they did a, a Rihanna set with <laughs> like sort of these like domestic abuse sort of uh, intervals in between the songs. That, yeah. Uh, oh. So one of, the, one of the songs that he did was Only Girl in the World and that was the first time I ever heard that song. And it was like just a really intense performance and the song is already just feels like crazy intense and apocalyptic when the synth starts stabbing in like the hook. Mm-hmm, I think it's like, yeah. I think that song is like the coolest fucking thing ever. So Only Girl in the World by Rihanna is my favorite. I should song listen to that again. It's been a long time. What about 2011?
2: Uh, Blow by Kesha. I <laughs> I like Kesha. I don't know if, yeah. I, again, I haven't kept up with her more recent stuff, but that is a weird video. She's like licking a unicorn and James Vanderbeek stalks her and it turns into like a Mr. and Mrs. Smith thing.
0: Um, this is definitely the year for me where I was just like, well, I guess I have to pick one of these. I don't really care that much about any of these, but that's true. I We're guess, getting
2: to that point for me. I guess
0: out of all of these, "Rolling in the Deep" is that's a good song. That's catchy. Mm-hmm. That's the one that, if I think about it now, that's I probably most want to listen to. So I guess "Rolling in the Deep." Um,
2: yeah, I'm like I, 2012 is kind of a shrug. It's almost like, all right, I I don't know if I want to listen to this song regularly anymore, but I. I like
0: Call Me Maybe. Sure. Yeah, I know exactly. Exactly. 2012 <laughs> is Call Me Maybe for you. Yeah. Uh, for me, my my favorite song of 2012 that's on this list is N Words in Paris by Watch the Throne. Um, I don't know if I know that is, one. You definitely. This is one of those songs that was everywhere. Okay. Um, it was it was the project that Jay Z and Kanye West did. Um, oh. And this is the song that's like. Bump, 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 oh. bump, bump. Okay. Yeah. Ball so hard. Yeah. Yeah. You know. What about 2013 for you?
2: Royals.
0: Ah, yeah. Very good.
2: Their voice. Like a lot of these, a lot of these women just love their voice mm-hmm. more than anything. I, I love mean, the song from, too. From,
0: from the pool of the music that we're choosing from, a lot of it is just inherently, and this isn't even like of about the 21st century. This is just popular music in general. Like it's inherently just doesn't have a lot of personality or sort of eccentric touches. So singers who have distinct voices kind of stand out in that in that realm. Um, yeah, definitely. And Lord was definitely one of those. For me, it's "Get Lucky" by Daft Punk. Again, oh, not a yeah, song no, that I have like, good. not a song I'm passionate about. But I listen to it, and I'm like, all right, this is catchy. I like this shit. Niles Rogers, let's go. Um, what about 2014?
2: Okay, the reason why I chose this one is mainly due to a personal story involving this a, a student of mine who just came into the door. He just came in and he sang Chandelier by Sia at the top of his hmm. lungs, pitch perfect. It was like an American Idol moment. Yeah. I, I it was I was I was blown away. I can't to look us, if I can
0: find that in my archive somewhere. <laughs> Both of us have been making music for decades now. Um but like Like both of us, like, eh, we kind of know how to, you know, stay in key or whatever. But, like, neither of us are good singers. No. Um, And when you hear someone who's, like, an actual talented singer, like, when you hear them do it live, it's always just like, what is happening? How, how? (laughs) How can you do that? I do like the song Habits Stay High by Tove Mm. Lowe. More, there is a specific remix of it. Uh, I think it's Hippie Sabotage or something Mm -hmm. remix. Um, it's a. Okay. It's like I think it got like an official release or something, but um, that's a very good song about being depressed and doing drugs and fucking, which is like what all pop music is now. But in 2014, it was a little more novel, probably. in about 2015, again, like Taylor Swift made some
2: good songs, and I'm going with Blank Space. It's good. Let, it's good. You know that that chorus is amazing.
0: It really is. Mm-hmm. Starbucks again, lovers.
2: <laughs> is that really the lyric?
0: The lyric is, got a long list of ex-lovers. Oh, okay. They'll tell you I'm insane. But I always heard, because it's this kind of song that I don't choose to listen to Taylor Swift necessarily, but I do, you would hear that in the grocery store or wherever all the time. And it always just like, na-na-na-na, Starbucks lovers. (laughs) My favorite song of 2015 is Regrettably Misogynist, because it is so fucking satisfying uh, to shout at the Mm. top of your lungs, which is, I don't fuck with you by Big Sean featuring <laughs> E-40. Um, I like E-40, but like, I just like the, it's, it's a very, it's just very satisfying and I work in customer service. So I think I like, it's a song that comes into my mind at least three times a day <laughs> when someone just like makes a face. I'm like, I'm sorry, we're out of almond milk. And they just make a face and I'm like, little stupid ass. I don't give a fuck. I don't give a fuck. <laughs> um, what about uh, 2016? Hello. By Adele. I don't know <laughs> this song.
2: Well, it's not, hello, is it me you're looking for? Yeah,
0: that's no, how it
2: started. I, 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 but th- sh- that's kind of how it starts, though, is, hello, it's me. I was wondering if all these, after all these years you'd like to meet. Oh, hello. oh, so
0: it's Telephone Line by ELO.
2: Oh. Hello, how are you? Yeah, I guess you're right, yeah. I guess it's just a mashup of songs named Hello.
0: 2016 is the year where I looked at a list of 100 of the most popular songs in America, and I recognized two of them, and one of them I only recognized because I heard it every single time I got into an, a lift, Um, in 2016. <laughs> it was just, like, ubiquitous, and I fucking hated it. And every single time I was in the backseat of a lift, and I'd hear, bum, 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 bum. It's like, um, uh, uh-oh. Uh, In the Chainsmokers song, oh god, I fucking hated that song so much, and it I was and I was looking at this list and I was panicking because I was like, that can't be my favorite song of that year because I fucking hate that song. And then I I realized I've
2: realized looking at this list too, I've never heard Justin Bieber ever.
0: Yeah, yeah, same. But uh, there is one other song from 2016 that I know. And I don't like it. I don't think it's a good song. But it is a song that I know, which is Hotline Bling by Drake. So okay, I guess that's my favorite of 2016. <laughs> what about 2017?
2: Um, Humble, Kendrick Lamar. Oh, that's
0: a good one. Yeah, yeah,
2: for sure. Yeah, that's um, a great,
0: great record. Yeah, for sure. I yeah. like, uh, this is another song that I just fucking sing to myself all the time. I like Exo Tour Life by Lil Uzi Vert. Um, Ooh, I don't th- the 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 hook of the song is "Take me to the edge. All my friends are dead. Take me to the edge. All uh, my friends are dead." I think I've heard that. I think that song's real good. Um, yeah, I'm really feeling old.
2: I'm really feeling old now.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. By, by the time you get to 27, we're just two fucking mummies. Like we.
2: <laughs> Bad
0: at love by Halsey. I don't know this one. <laughs>
2: I I couldn't
0: explicitly sing it either. <laughs> sure. <laughs> It's just one I've heard, and I know. It's fine. I like it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm, I lucked out for 2018, because there was only one song I recognized on the list of 2018, and it was also a 2017 song, but luckily it charted both years, so I was able oh. to count it, even though it's not technically a 2018 song, which is Bodak Yellow by Cardi B. Um, okay, yeah. Uh, what about 2019?
2: Okay, here we go. I have absolutely fallen in love with the music of Billie Eilish. Hell Yeah. I I I know she won all these awards. I know she became right. huge overnight.
0: You said, "Sit down, and be prepared, like you're going to say something shocking."
2: Bad guy, Billie Eilish. When I mm-hmm. I I went back and listened to that entire record recently, and went, "Wow, I understand
0: it." From for me, my favorite song in 2019 is "Cash Shit by Megan The Stallion and Baby. Um, I love Megan Thee Stallion. I remember I don't know if a couple ye- a couple of years ago, um, I think me and Regina just went on this whole kick where we were listening to a whole bunch of playlists of like Pitchfork top 100 songs of like the past recent years because we just felt like mummies and we were like, what what's hot? What's popular? What's going on? So we were just like on Spotify listening to all these songs and there were a lot of rappers that... I listen to rap now and I'm like, oh God, I don't like you're just you're taking the most boring drugs and your music is so dull and it's just sort of auto-tuned and you're just sad and low energy and low effort and I mean this is old person talking. This is what every old person sounds like whenever they don't like something that changes. But I just listen to all modern rap music and I'm just like, ugh, who who cares? And then Megan the Stallion came up, and she was just, like, fucking rapping very quickly about just filthy-ass shit. Like, just really dirty lyrics. And I was just like, oh, this I get. This is (laughs) old-fashioned. This is, like, this gets gets Grandpa going. What about 2020, Jim? What about last year?
2: This is the only time that the number one song of the year is mine. My pick, Blinding Lights by The Weeknd. Hell yeah, same.
0: Exact same.
2: Yep, it's kind of crazy. I mean, Lizzo is another uh really interesting artist that I I listened to and I liked
0: uh yeah yeah I saw Lizzo open for Slater Kinney actually um, wow so I saw Lizzo in like 2015 or 2016 or something whenever they oh, had that's
2: that that's wild oh.
0: whenever they sort of did that first sort of comeback album um and they were touring with that and that was funny cuz she was on stage she was playing the flute and rapping and stuff and I'm like this is all right this is pretty good and then I thought nothing of it because you just like, oh yeah, that's another talented person who makes okay music. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh no, no, you don't understand. Every commercial you hear for the next five years is going to have Alyssa's song in it. That's true. <laughs> so our next segment is something that Jim actually suggested that we do for this entire episode. As like When we were sort of kicking around ideas for what bonus episode we would do for Jim's birthday, one of the ideas he said, because we had a lot of fun trying to pick a top 10 films of the Obama era, and Jim was talking about what if we did top ten performances of the Obama era, and I don't, I just, I, I don't catalog performances in the same way, and I just, there's so many more that I missed, but I did think that me and Jim would be able to pick one. So this is the best performance of the Obama era, which again is 2009 to 2016. Jim, what is your favorite performance of the Obama era?
2: You know, it's it's difficult because there's a lot, and part of me deep down wanted to go, oh. You know, Joaquin Phoenix, man, he's he's, he's had, a, he had a hell of a run for a while
0: yeah. at this point in time. The Obama era was the era where Joaquin Phoenix became, like, the powerhouse actor.
2: But the performance that I keep going back to, even though I haven't watched the movie that much, but I, I don't know if I've ever related more to a character or at least understood it the way I did it with Lily Gladstone in Certain Women. Oh sure. Yeah. And uh, I'm like all right. I think she was cast in the new Scorsese movie. I think if I'm not mistaken. So I I'm, I'm just waiting for more and I I just couldn't believe it. When I when that I mean, we talked about cert women quite a bit and I don't know if it was all recorded, but I yeah. I, I absolutely adore her and this performance and it was also the uh, the era of, of Kristen Stewart, where I, f- I realized, oh, she's actually incredible too. Yeah, and for they, sure. They play off of each other beautifully in this movie, and that's a spe- that's a special special film all around.
0: My favorite performance of the Obama era is Lily Gladstone's co star Kristen Stewart in Clouds of Sills Maria. I had a probably not a surprise. Yeah, probably not a surprise to anyone who's heard me talk about that movie. She plays Julia Benoist's assistant, and they're there is just this super loaded subtext to everything she does, even though she is just sort of, she is in that mode that a lot of people when they're at a job are in where they're just like, all right, I'm just going to focus ahead. What do I have to do? I have to do this. I have to do this. I have to do this. I'm sort of emotionally disengaging from everything because I just have this list of tasks that needs to be done. But she's so compelling in that sort of um, quotidian kind of uh, role Because there is this just sort of, like, unspoken uh, resentment and um, sort of loaded subtext to everything she does. And I just, everything about her performance in Clouds of Sils Maria is so captivating. And, like, I know a lot of people um, are a little more into, uh, what, uh, shit, what's the movie she made right after with? Personal um, Shopper? Same director. I know some people are more into Personal Shopper and find that movie, like, kind of more interesting and fascinating. I think she's great in that too. And I think that's a lot of the same thing. She's also an assistant in that. Um, but like, uh, I think Clausus de Sils Maria is just every time uh, I think about Kristen Stewart, that's what I think of as that movie. So that's my number yeah. one performance of the Obama era. Number nine. So we chose our favorite performances of the Obama era, which is 2009 to 2016. I thought it might be a little bit harder is picking the best performance of the JFK era, because that was a short era. So that is 1961 to November 1963, the best performance in a film from those years. Jim, what was your choice?
2: See, I wanted to surprise... I don't know if this would have been a surprise, but I found out that Dr. Strangelove came out in January of 1964. Yeah, I was like, ugh, so close, Peter Sellers,
0: so close. That's the thing. That's one of those movies that it was sort of shocking when it came out because it came out so close to the assassination. And there's, I think there were lines taken out. I think mm. there's a line where it's like the president has been struck down or something like that when they get are fighting in the worm at the end or something like that. So
2: I went with Dirk Bogard from the servant, which I'm actually planning on watching again tonight. Cause it's been way too long. And, uh, uh, I picked up some Howard Pinter plays. I started reading plays recently. Mm-hmm. Just, uh, just, Kind of a you know a little bit of a rabbit hole that I haven't explored that much, and uh, I was like, I want to get some Harold Pinter from the library and just dive in a bit. And now I want to rewatch The Servant, and it's been and I just I remember being floored by that performance. I'm sure there are others that Mm -hmm. are more recognizable or worthy of praise.
0: So. it's It's funny because that is sort of a transitionary period 1961, 1963, in Hollywood um where things were getting more naturalistic that is sort of a post James Dean post yeah Marlon Brando, sort of an era, but like it's still in transition, so a lot of the great performances from that time are more of the classical Hollywood like Peter O'Toole in Lawrence of Arabia or something there's like um which was almost my choice, but I in fact went with Dirk Bogard from the servant as Holy well. That's cow. the moment. This is the moment in the newlywed game where I hold up my card excitedly because I wrote the same thing down. Number Number 10. 10. So for our next segment, we're going to talk about our favorite album of 1992. Why 1992? Um, Because I thought it was a pivotal year in music, but it turns out I was thinking about 1991. I literally I, – I, I made up this segment. I sent it up to Jim. I said, fucking great, 1992, going to be a lot to talk about. And then when I went to figure out I, – I, I went to my sort of list of albums, and I'm like, no, never Nevermind was 1991. No, My Bloody Valentine's Love List is 1991. No, this rap album is 1991. And I, like, I realized that I was totally off a year on like a dozen different albums that I love. And 1992 is a year that there isn't an album I really
2: <laughs> No, so- there wasn't a lot that –
0: Stood out necessarily. <laughs> so, what is your favorite album of
2: 1992? Well, that I, you know, Nine Snails Broken would probably be my number two, just because it changed things. But honestly, as an adult going back to listening to the work of Suzanne Vega, of all people, like not a, a lot of people just associated her with Luca and Tom's Diner. But right. by this point, she was making some really weird, interesting indie folk, but also had, like, just really experimental production and weird drum loops and stuff. So she made a record called 99.9 Fahrenheit Degrees this year that has become my favorite. It's just really, it, like, I don't know how to put it. It's rhythmic and primal and kind of hot.
0: Is it is it very per- percussive-driven? Yeah.
2: yeah, it's like she... It's almost like she did... She, the traditional elements of just like, you know, playing folk music or or being like Tracy Chapman esque or something, and went just got weird in the studio and just did things like this song "Blood Makes Noise" is just it it's unlike anything I've ever heard.
0: <laughs> Especially, and you said that it's point. hot. You mean do you mean like when you say hot, you mean like sexually charged? Like? Yeah,
2: I don't and I don't know if it, like the songs. I, I mean I think a song like "Blood Makes Noise" is about sex more or less, but. <laughs> I don't think the whole album is that. It's just I remember thinking this is really interesting music that I I have no other way to describe it other than it's it's, it's sexy with but just also weird at the same time. So it was like, you know, people expected her to just be coffee shop folky artist, but yeah. she's like, no, I'm going to I'm going to fuck
0: things up and do some weird shit here. We have her record at my coffee shop that I work at. We have the vinyl record that has Luca and uh, Tom Steiner on it.
2: Yeah, and and those are okay, but I this this period, this and the album that followed it were really interesting to me.
0: For me, I, I guess for 1992, when I was looking at some of these albums, I think "Hit to Death in the Future Head" by Flaming Lips is the sort of crossover point. I guess they had two crossover points. They had "Hit to Death in the Flaming Hit to Death in the Future Head," and they had the Soft Bulletin. I can listen to some early, early Flaming Lips, but like I really have to be in the right mood to just listen to fucked up noise. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. and, and there's a fair amount of fucked up noise on "Hits to the Future Head." Like on this podcast, I think, or it might have been on uh, "Voices and Visions." But I've talked about my love of transmissions from the Satellite Heart, which is a more poppy and a more accessible album than this. But this is the album where they sort of crossed over into like this is a song that you could hear on the radio which is totally not true of anything before this. And I think Talking Immortality, Death Porn, Blues, which I think is the first song in the album, is just one of the all-time great rock songs. I agree Um, with that, for sure. I quoted it. I quoted it earlier in this episode. I might have edited that out yet. I don't know. The next segment is called Talk Out Your Walkout. Jim, I want to hear about a time that you walked out of a movie in theaters. That's not really like
2: a... I don't know, a, a, an interesting narrative. It was really just like
0: I don't like it and I don't know if I want to waste my time. I do you do you walk out of How often do you walk out of movies? Never. So that that to me is the thing. It's like what does it take to make you walk out of a movie that you paid money to see?
2: I was very tired first of all, but I I walked out of uh, Hellraiser Bloodline uh aka Pinhead <laughs> Pinhead in Space. Uh, Cause I just thought it was dull and lame and I going back and forth in time to like a Baroque period and then being in space, I think I, 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 that movie just feels like, yeah, a fever dream that I'd rather forget. But again, and, and I know what you tell me this every time I say this out loud and I, I know you're, what your response is going to be, but I still have to say it horror podcasts are saying it's great and underrated, so I don't know what to believe anymore. Like I can't, I get I get all this reinforcement that, oh, Hellraiser Bloodline's actually amazing.
0: Yeah, that one has a cult following now. I don't think any of the I don't think any past four have a cult following, but there's definitely a contingent that like Hellraiser three, Hell on Earth. I am in the party that I love Hellraiser two, uh Hellbound. That, I, I think, I think the that's that the one.
2: best one. I do have a soft spot yeah. for
0: three. Um my walkout is uh, cats and dogs. <laughs> Whoa, that was bad. I was way, yeah, I was way too old to be watching it, but it was, we had family friends who were related to Sean Hayes, and um, oh. and I was just, and we sort of all got dragged along to see it for some reason. I don't know why. I've, but uh, I, I was like, yeah, sure, free movie, I'll go. And then it was the thing where I was driven there. I was a teenager. I didn't have a driver's license. So I walked out, and I just like waited in the lobby and stared at the wall rather than finish the movie.
2: <laughs> you know that Sean Hayes has a podcast?
0: Uh-huh.
2: <laughs> it's, it's Jason Bateman, Sean Hayes, and Will Arnett together interviewing famous people. The, the only reason why I, I know. know is because I listened to a Billy Eilish interview. <laughs>
0: with them and it was pretty good I don't want to hear Jason Bateman talk to Billie Eilish I am not a number I am a person this next segment is called Call Me By Your James oh god so in this segment Jim is going to talk about his favorite James Cagney movie while doing a James Stewart a Jimmy Stewart impression meanwhile I'm going to talk about my favorite Jimmy Stewart movie while doing a James Cagney impression so, Jim, I'll let you start. Call me by your James. Um, okay, let's see. Well,
2: I I, I was gonna go with, with one. This is ridiculous. I was gonna go with one, two, three, especially after our recent viewing. Of for the <laughs> Billy Wilder episode, but honestly, how can you top White Heat? He, he's, he's he's screaming, top of the world, ma, only to die at the end. That's a classic moment in movie history. That you'll I, I say you'll you'll never forget. White Heat. <laughs> All right, that was awful. You know, everybody
0: Everybody wants to talk about Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. Everybody wants... Oh, I don't know what voice this is. This is James Keggy. I, I was trying to avoid doing C and, uh, and You Dirty Rat, but, uh, well, C is more... Ed, uh, all right, let's try this again. Yeah. yeah. Oh, my God. Everybody wants to talk about... <laughs> what is this voice? It's like an Adam Sandler yeah, everybody character. Wants everybody wants to talk about... Mr. Smith goes to Washington but you gotta see James Stewart he was a very dark actor he had very darkness to, what is I? this is like Giovanni Rabisi now what the fuck is <laughs> happening okay James Cagney here we go you dirty rat you should see Winchester 89 <laughs> <laughs> that's a, that's a, you should see every western Anthony Mann ever deal with Jim Stewart you dirty rat <laughs> <laughs> little mayor Quimby all of a sudden <laughs>
1: Number
0: 13. This next segment is called Hunger James. James, you murdered 17 people and you're now on death row. They're Damn giving much. you one final meal. Um, what 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 do you get served on your death row meal? You know, I, it could have been just so easy, just like, all right, a slice of Lou Melnati's pizza
2: and some carrot cake. There you go. That's it. But if I knew I was going to die the next day, I I don't know. Part of me was like, why not have a good meal? You know, like a healthy A somewhat healthy meal, but just something that whenever I have it, I enjoy it. I would ask for the appetizer of a baked potato soup, which is my favorite soup, probably. And then followed by the best piece of salmon, because I just think that is the Mm. ideal fish. I eat it a lot. It's very easy to just take it out of the freezer, defrost it, and put it in the pan and add some seasoning. And I'm like, all right, I'm very happy with my dinner tonight. I also like to include a side of carrots and mashed potatoes and then end it with a slice of key lime pie with graham cracker crust for dessert. So, I'm going I'm I decided to get a little healthy there with salmon, but it, that's
0: so strange. Yeah, I went the exact opposite route. I said, "Fuck it. <laughs> you know, yeah, i, I know, right?
2: You'd think that's the way I would go, but I just decided, you know, I have, I have I guess a positive I, association with whenever I eat salmon. Like I feel good right. eating
0: it. Right. And there's also a logic to, like, you don't want necessarily your last moments on Earth to feel physically ill, as well as, like, you're already going to feel ill because you're dreading the upcoming death. So, like, you don't necessarily want to also just be sick to your stomach and puking or whatever. Exactly. Except for me, that's exactly what I'm doing. I am getting two extra large (laughs) sausage pizzas. And when I say Chicago style, I mean the Chicago thin crust style, the tavern style, cut into squares. Um, I find if a pizza is cut into squares and is, is that sort of thin crust, I can eat 10 billion pieces of it. It can happen. Um, and so me, the game is how long can we stretch this out? How – I basically like this is my last moment of pleasure on the earth and I want it to sustain. So what I'm doing is I'm eating this one slice at a time and, you know, it's like however many slices. It's 16, 32, whatever. It's a ton of fucking slices in that kind of pizza. And I'm just eating one piece at a time, slowly. Ton of fucking sausage on there. And I'm just like, that is a two-hour experience. Like, the guards are fucking pissed at me. It's not even warm anymore. I don't even care. I'm just, like, living in that.
2: Well, I see you done spilled your soup all over you, you fool. And I think that edible you had is causing some rather bizarre side effects here because everything in the room is kind of floating and you're also talking to your soup again. So in the future, I recommend cutting back, maybe cut the dose a little bit with this particular edible because you are currently hallucinating me talking to you about your spillage, and it's really disturbing. So, uh, just calm yourself down. Maybe you know t- take a bre- take a breather and g- uh, make sure to clean your your your, your suit because you wore a suit for some reason today, and just get it cleaned <laughs> up real good. Like,
0: this is the dumbest thing anyone's ever <laughs> done on this fucking podcast.
1: Number fifty.
0: The next segment is called Tweety Words. Jim is a massive fan of Jeff Tweedy and Wilco, the Jeff Tweedy's band. But something I've always wondered is, what does Wilco stand for? Jim, we both came up with acronyms for what we think Wilco stands for. What do you think Wilco stands for? I've been wondering the same thing this whole time I've been
2: listening to them. I have a feeling it has something to do with food. So, okay. uh I I my guess is warm ice loves cinnamon oatmeal.
0: Warm ice loves cinnamon oatmeal. Yes. Like if your oatmeal's too hot, you put
2: ice in it. Yeah. And then, and then the ice becomes warm and then it's like a marriage all of a sudden,
0: you know? Like, I see. And that's and that's kind of like how their music works for you as a metaphor.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Fascinating. I think Wilco stands for White Irritating Lethargic Chords, Odorous. Oh, wow. (laughs) That was mean. (laughs) That's it. That's the only reason this segment exists, so I could do that. Number 16. This next segment is called Everybody Hurts. It is named in honor of the worst song on a very great record, Automatic for the People, um a very good album but uh everybody hurts a very bad song. Mhm. And it got me thinking about other albums that I love that just have one song on there that I'm like, "Get the fuck out of here. This sucks." <laughs> and Jim, I'm curious, what to you is like the biggest gap between like beloved album and worst song on it?
2: You know, I think the go-to is Revolution Number no. 9 on the White album, but I don't know, that just seems like a safe easy choice. More or mm-hmm. less, I think a lot of people would agree. Uh but it's weird. Like, I'm a huge They Might Be Giants fan. And I know they've made weird songs. <laughs> Usually on their albums. I can't wait to
0: see where this goes.
2: I mean, like, on their albums, they'll come up with something that you might consider skipping over. You know, like, some some people might hear Apollo 18 and go, why do I want to listen to this song called Spider? I love that song. However, <laughs> there's a song on their record, Lincoln. Which might be my favorite of theirs, and I don't know what they were thinking. It, it could be, it could be some weird Tom Waits pastiche, but there's this song called "You'll Miss Me" by They Might Be Giants. And if I ever met them, I would, I would ask, "What? Why is that on there?" It's, a, it's look at me in my big old body. It's like, the, <laughs> that's, that's, that's the <laughs> lyric in the song. It's like, look at me in my big old body. That sounds, that sounds like that sounds like classic They Might Be Gees. They're good. They're having a good old time. They're, they're uh, this and all the horns are atonal. Like everything about it, it's 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 noise. It's 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 not music. It's not. I it's not like even all the, I feel
0: like all the horns. The horns get all atonal in um, in the spaceship. The peaceful spaceship. Oh, guitar. Yeah, that's a great song. Yeah. Yeah, that does. It's it's just, it's funny. It's funny to me that this is such a this is such a hated song because like you're describing it, and I'm just like, yes, you what that is a they might be giant song. <laughs> it's it's almost too weird. It's like I don't I know. See.
2: I feel like they tried it's way too, too hard. Yeah, and I always skip over uh, Starfuckers Incorporated by Nine Inch Nails if I listen to uh, the Fragile.
0: So for me, I, when I was brainstorming ideas for this segment, I realized that there's a common theme, which is. I, if I'm listening to, like, I'm, I'm more of a, a song person than an album person. I will, what I'll usually do when I get a new album is I'll listen to it. And then if I love a song, I will, st- instead of continuing to listen to the album, I'll just keep listening to that song on repeat. Sure. I'm a big, like, listen to the same song 12 times in a row guy. But if I'm in the situation where I'm listening to a full album multiple times, usually I will grow to accept and appreciate every song on the album except if there is a boring song at the end. The boring song at the end is to me the thing that's like, oh, I guess this album is shorter than it, than they thought it was because I never listen to it to its completion. I always turn it off before I get to the last song. And it's funny you brought up revolution number nine, because that is a song I think is really cool. And that's a song I thought was scary when I was a kid. And I would like try to get, you know, I'd listen to it and I'd get two minutes in and too freaked out and have to turn it off. And, so I have fond memories of Revolution Number Nine, but "Good Night" on the White Album is the most boring piece of shit I've ever heard. And when I say I ever heard, I mean I've listened to that song a total of once. I couldn't tell you the melody because to me, the now White Album ends with Revolution Number it's Nine.
2: Time to say <laughs> good night.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah so, no so, shit. So I'm, I'm
2: asleep when that song comes. So out. it's funny though because my dad sang me that song when I was a kid.
0: Oh, okay. Well, I mean, that's fair. That's, <laughs> that's a very sweet thing to sing to a child. I'm not, But it's just as an outcloser of an album. It's like Revolution 9 is like, yes, this is what the White Album aspires to be. And then Goodnight is like, ugh, this is – I can't take but, it. Uh, but the end of um, it
2: has Ringo Starr going, Goodnight, everybody.
0: We love you. <laughs> I hate it. I hate it. But the but that also there's another unifying thing, which is ambitious sort of out there albums that sort of yeah, go all right. over the you're place. Right. You're right. Yeah. When those kinds of albums end on a very traditional kind of dull song, that is like super disappointing to me, and I hate it. And there's two examples in Radiohead's oeuvre: the Tourist to me just doesn't exist. Like OK Computer ends with Lucky. <laughs> there is no the Tourist. Uh, it's I all f- right. I I don't think it's. I just I find it so. S- Especially after everything else. It's like, that's how you sum up the album? That's that's how you close things? And then um, my favorite Radiohead album, Hail to the Thief, this isn't the very last song. The last song is Wolf at the Door, which fucking kicks ass. But scatterbrain. I never listen. I listen to the entire thing once. And then, then after that, I'm just like, this is boring. This is like... This is so, like, you left this song behind, so far behind by the time you get to Hail to the Thief. and I love, I can't believe I love the melody the in album. that
2: song, though. I, I think it's pretty good.
0: Do you? Yeah. How does the melody go, even? It's like, the funny thing is...
2: It's, it's very, you know, Tom York-y. I can't remember the words, though.
0: <laughs> you sound like Carlos Mencia making fun of Tom York. Number 17. (laughs) This next segment is called Better Than Cats. Everybody knows that Broadway has sort of stopped producing original musicals and now just sort of churns through um, intellectual properties that everyone in America knows about to find their next big hit. So the question is, what do you think should be the next big Broadway musical, Jim? How about Mother by Darren Aronofsky?
2: Ooh, how would you see a stage version (laughs) of Mother happening? I... I don't know but there'd have to be a lot of moving sets and things spiraling out of control. I, yeah. I I don't know why. That could
0: be very exciting. I think it could That could be, be a very exciting live show, yeah.
2: Yeah. I, if they do it right, I I mm-hmm. could see it being effective and that that <sighs> And I've seen
0: I've seen how in uh on stage you can use like sleight of hand and stuff to get special effects going like re, there's a reanimator musical <laughs> and they do some stuff where it's like they have a fake head, and then they cover up it, and then the actor sticks his head through a hole in a table, and then he walks, and then they move, and then it's like the real head is on the table, and you're like, how'd they do that? And it's because it's just some sleight-of-hand stuff. Yeah. Um, I can see some stuff happening with that with the baby at the end of Mother. <laughs> Man. That movie is... I best. think what they have to do for the Mother musical is they have, to show, they have to throw pieces of the baby into the audience. Yes. I think people should walk home and say, like, we saw Mother and I got the little toes. <laughs> and it was edible. Mm-hmm. So, for my answer to this question, I have to say, I, my original choice was not necessarily very inspired. Um, it's just Ricky O., the story of Ricky. <laughs> <laughs> Which is a beloved cult movie about a man in prison punching people's guts out. Sure. Um, But I was talking about this subject uh, with my uh, co-worker, Julie. And Julie brought up the very interesting fact that America is absolutely crazy about true crime right now.
2: Oh, yeah. Without a doubt.
0: So here's my pitch. It's just called Gacy! With an exclamation point at the end. (laughs) And it's got this... (laughs) Got this oh, God, this sort of circus, big top theme. You know, you have this like built-in kind of Calliope sound to the songs. You have this sort of ringmaster clown character, and he's telling you his story. And he's like, "They want to tell you I'm all bad, but don't we all? Don't we all have a little John Wayne Casey in us?" Oh no! Oh no! <laughs> Wait do you see the chorus line of angels that come tapping dance out of the, tap dancing out of the crawl space? Number eight. All right. This next segment is called Saturday Night Life, and in it, Jim is going to tell me a movie that came out at some point during his life, and I have to improvise the opening of an episode of Saturday Night Live where the star of that movie is the host, and uh, I have to come up with a musical guest. Um. So, go ahead. It was hard, because I was thinking, hmm,
2: I know Christian Slater's definitely done it. He's definitely been on SNL. But has has Griffin Dunn been on SNL? The movie, Griffin
0: Dunn the movie absolutely 100% has not been on SNL.
2: Okay. I want to imagine that in another world, like, you know, in the multiverse, that after hours is this huge sensation and everybody loves it. And (laughs) Scorsese wins an Oscar for it. You know, like, like everybody. After
0: hours. Yeah. (laughs) But the thing about that is after hours comes out during the worst period of SNL.
2: (laughs) Oh crap. That's right. That's the, Oh, that's, Oh, that's the, all right. You
0: ready? Anthony Here we Michael go. Hall era. It's Saturday Night Live! Starring Anthony Michael Hall, Robert Downey Jr., Gilbert Gottfried, <laughs> Julia Louise Dreyfus, Charles Rocket, Oh, wow. Joe Piscopo. Starring musical guest by Young Cannibals. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, that might be the wrong era, I forget when did the 80s they came Maybe out. it was later then. And days. your host, Griffin Dunn, your musical guest, The Tubes, and your host, Griffin Dunn.
3: What a week this has been. It's been everything you would imagine. The the, the pace, the pressure, the pals, the laughs, the tension, the shortness of breath. But, you know, all week I've really been worried mostly about this moment, just standing in front of a live audience. I thought I would be terrified. But I'm not really. I mean, I'm actually quite, um, I don't know, serene. And that's important, too, because if I'm having fun up here, you're going to be having fun up here. And that's what Lauren told me to say.
1: So, No
0: This next segment is called Must See VT. We're going to talk about our favorite movies shot in Vermont. Guess what? Basically, no movies have been shot in Vermont. No, apparently not. It's a nice it's There a nice are place, not though. a lot of tax incentives. Not a lot of tax incentives out in Vermont. Um, I think mm. we probably both have the same favorite movie that was shot in Vermont, and I'm going to say I'm going to count down three, two, one, and then we're going to say it at the same time. Okay, three, two, one. Beetlejuice. Beetlejuice. Beetlejuice.
2: Beetlejuice, yeah, yeah, Beetlejuice absolutely. Beetlejuice.
0: Beetlejuice. Beetlejuice. Yeah. It's three Although times really for like, Beetlejuice. I, five times for Candyman.
2: I really like Funny Farm. Funny Farm's pretty funny.
0: Surprisingly. Do so, you? Yeah. I didn't know anyone. I thought I thought like that was that era. I didn't know there were any defenders of that era of Chevy Chase. That's the only really I've not seen one. it, but
2: hmm. no, it's it's especially towards the end when the whole town tries to act normal uh, to sell, so they could sell their house. Like the whole town is trying to look like something out of Norman Rockwell and all that stuff. That whole that whole bit is actually really 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 funny. <laughs>
0: This next segment is called "Eh, Just One More Thing. So (laughs) everybody, it seems like everybody has sort of, uh, my impressions, by the way, they only get better as this podcast goes on. It feels like there's been on the internet a big sort of rediscovery of Columbo. Always been a great show. Peter Falk, always been an absolutely iconic performer, doing a beautiful character. And a lot of people have sort of been rediscovering Columbo lately. And there's been talks for decades now about, like, who would bring back Columbo, who could play Columbo, and stuff like that. The question is always, who could play Columbo? But I think what's more interesting is the actors who are the guest stars, because Columbo, like, almost every episode has some person, some character actor of note playing the murderer. And there is a specific tone, because Columbo only busts rich murderers, so it is always rich assholes who are being inconvenienced by Columbo. I want to say... If we brought back Columbo, if there was a reboot, what actor would you want to play the killers on episodes of Columbo? Um, Jim, do you have a list? I want to go with three Michaels. Go for
2: it. <laughs> Michael Shannon, because I, I just yeah. I want to watch him kill people. And uh, he's, he's good at being creepy. Uh, Michael Fassbender, because I haven't seen him in so long.
0: Uh, just <laughs> just to get just to see him on screen again.
2: I know I miss him.
0: I can just see him getting increasingly annoyed as he's trying to play racquetball, and <laughs> he keeps having to stop his game.
2: And then the uh, the last and the weirdest one was Michael Sarah. I just want to see him branch out like the way Elijah Wood did, you know, with the maniac yeah. with the maniac so, remake.
0: There's a th- so there's a thing about Columbo where there's like certain types, and one of the types is an this is Roddy McDowell was like guest starring on TV all over the fucking place in the seventies. Oh yeah. And he always played like, he's the snotty rich kid who no one likes. And he's like, (laughs) you don't know who my father is. And you're just like, Oh fuck you, Roddy McDowell. I hate you. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and I think Michael Sarah could play that role really well for me. I was thinking of Timothy Chalamet as that kind of character. Like Timothy Chalamet as a fucking stuck up rich kid who got his inheritance early. You know what I mean? Um, Like I can see him just being like condescending to Columbo and just getting increasingly annoyed and doing designer drugs in a club or whatever because it's a reboot. Um, I I was also going to add a rule. I didn't. So you said Michael Shannon. I was actually going to add a rule. No one from Knives Out because every single person (laughs) like Ryan Johnson has already played this game clearly and every single person he came up with he put in Knives Out. Every character in Knives Out is a perfect Columbo killer. It, that that movie has a lot of the same joy as Columbo, where you're just like, oh, these fucking assholes. I can't wait for them to get it. <laughs> um, I don't even care who the killer is because you just hate them all. Um, yeah. But uh, Michael Shan's a good choice. I think uh, a good one would be, um, again, Sex Pest. Now We now know, not a great guy. Uh, a lot of accusations towards him. Dustin Hoffman would be a great killer. Dustin Hoffman can be so condescending and shitty. I can just, I, yeah, that's very nice. No, very good. And like, I could see him, like, trying to lead Colombo out the door and just, like, nodding his head like, mm-hmm. No, no, I also find that interesting. Number 21. This next segment is called No Talent Hacks. We're each going to pick a famous director and describe what kind of act they do in their high school talent show.
2: Mine is so ridiculous. Okay, so Sam Raimi would take a chainsaw And cut into watermelons But the watermelons would be full of blood And it would squirt out into the audience So everyone gets covered Not just the first row
0: (laughs) How are you How are you you? (laughs) This is your tribute To the the man that you love And and respect Is you turn him into Gallagher 22. This next segment is called "My Dinner with Andre." Jim is going to pick the, a famous Andre, and I'm going to figure out what kind of conversation one would have with this famous Andre during a prolonged dinner.
2: I'm going to go with Andre Brower because uh, mm. I, f- I feel like Andre the Giant would have been too obvious, and I'm a big, f- big fan of,
0: of Brower. Right? You know, I feel like Just, I feel like Andre Brower there'd be some historical thing that he is just fucking addicted to. And he has read every book about it where it's like history of like black cowboys or the history of submarines or like the history of, you know, trains in America or something. And he'd be he would just <laughs> go on and on. And you would just be like it would be like the movie My Dinner with Andre, where you're just like, Jesus Christ, this is so because Andre Brower seems like a guy who would he's cause he's just very and he has this intensity. But he's also yeah. quiet. And so you always figure, like, oh, yeah, somewhere in the back of his mind, like, he's got something going on, you know? Like, he's he's working something out. And so I just like imagining Andre Brower just being, like – you know, and then and then of course that was that was in the days of coal coal powered trains. Once we moved to electricity, it was all different. It was all different. That was that changed change travel. And of course the uh, the the invention of the highway, the freeway system. The freeway system killed the trains. And here are the lobbyists too. And you know, it's like and he knows all the names of the lobbyists. That's I think it's trains. I think Andre Brower, like Johnny Cash, has a thing about trains.
2: I can see um, that. That's that's no that that that's definitely good. I mean, me I would just be like, Yo, hey, Andre, you know. I, I I gotta I gotta say that City of Angels movie you did with Nicolas Cage, it's it's really not that bad. and I don't know why people hate it so much. I mean I
0: know it's no Wings of Desire,
2: but I think people are too hard on that he, movie,
0: you know. And he and he goes, you know you know what I got paid on that movie? You like how much? He's like, I got paid seven hundred thousand dollars in that movie. You're like, really, seven hundred thousand dollars? He's like, yeah, yeah. I had a good agent. I got seven hundred thousand dollars. You know what that seven hundred thousand dollars bought? And I'm like, well, what did it buy? And he's like, let me show you. He takes me to a warehouse. He has fucking acre of model trains
1: <laughs> somewhere <laughs> in the city.
0: <laughs> it's that fucking Peyton Manning, uh, Brad Paisley uh, insurance commercial. It is just like, oh god, hundred <laughs> <laughs> Brower. He's like, do you like do, do you like my trains?
2: <laughs> See, I thought he was going to take me to like, you know, it, like like a like a set. And then suddenly the Google dolls, are start, they start playing Iris for me. I'm just like, oh, thanks, Andre.
0: You know, that movie came out the same time as the American Godzilla movie with Matthew Broderick. Oh, yeah. Um, and when I was a little kid, I was listening to the radio, and those were both soundtracks that sold a lot. Those were That was the era of popular soundtracks and stuff. And both City of Angels and Godzilla had like, very prominent soundtracks. And when I was a little kid, I was listening to the radio, and I got it mixed up. <laughs> and I thought that Iris was on the Godzilla soundtrack. Oh, and I, I, I must have. They must have been talking about some Godzilla song or whatever. Or they must have been talking about that Puff Daddy song or whatever. But I was, I was like, they were like, I was like, oh, this is a song from the new Godzilla movie. I should listen to this because I'm interested in Godzilla because I'm you know ten or whatever. And you just hear <laughs> Johnny <laughs> Resnick going. You know, I don't want the world to see me because I don't think that they'd understand. And I'm like, that's true, Godzilla. That's so true. <laughs> I thought that song was about Godzilla. Godzilla. Oh. I thought that was like when every I'm like when everything's made to be broken. That's a song about Godzilla. Everything is made to be broken. <laughs> <laughs> the All Valsal the buildings, pagodas—they're yeah. made to be broken for Godzilla. <laughs> <laughs> This next game is called dewey decibel and guess what i changed the rules because the original version of this game had us talking extremely loudly about libraries but i have neighbors and i just moved into this new apartment maybe you've noticed the echoing sounds that's because we're not in a fully furnished apartment yet the sound's still bouncing off the walls and stuff i don't want to piss everybody off by screaming at the top of my lungs about how much i love libraries so <laughs> here's a new game jim jim talk quietly Here's the, here is the rules of Dewey Decibel. You are the singer slash lead guitar player of a super popular death metal band. Oh, God. I am Dewey Decibel. I am the bass player, and you're going to kick me out of the band because I'm not metal enough. What? So, so now the name of this game is you have to come up to me and approach me, and you have to kick me out of your death metal band because I'm not metal enough. My name is Dewey Decibel. So, go ahead. I'm I'm sitting in the rehearsal room. I'm just sort of mind my own business, plunking, plunking on the plunka, and then uh, you walk up and then you say what?
2: Uh, Hmm. Uh, Dewey. (laughs) Hmm. Um. I got some. I got some bad news. I. Huh. I, 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 I've been talking it over with. Huey and uh Louie and we we just we don't we don't like your style of playing as much anymore. I mean, I I know you're you're huge into Barry Manilow and it, it makes sense and that's it makes sense that's why you joined the band cuz you you thought you could bring your, you know, your your, your talents to a whole new genre. It makes sense, I understand, but it's just not working out. What really? are you saying? <laughs> <laughs> I okay, musical ability is very important.
0: Yeah, I'd uh, say, <laughs> but
2: you're just not intense enough. And I'm not intense enough. No, what are you, you talking you, about? On stage, you just, you know, kind of... I'm so intense. <laughs> I'm so metal, man. You don't believe I piss blood. I shit skeletons. I'm metal. I, I haven't seen proof of that, and that's why we're... I'm I... heavy
0: metal, man. Right now, I let's go burn down a church. You can't kick Jerry <laughs> Decibel out of your metal band. I'm too metal. Number 24. Number 24. So this next segment is called Danny Elfman Cruthers. We're each going to pick a very famous film score, and we're going to kind of jazz scat it, and we're going to see if the other person can guess what score that we're scatting. Do you have one picked out, Jim? I think so. All right, uh, you go ahead.
2: scooby doo 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 dooby doo 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 Skin school school scrap spoop sapo dab little ba 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 scood school school
0: I I am trying to think <laughs> your, you went with Danny Elfman too. You went you 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 did the assignment. You did <laughs> <laughs> Oh okay. I, that is that is definitely the breakfast machine uh, from hmm. Pee Wee's Big Adventure.
2: I thought that, yeah, I thought we were choosing, like, a famous Daniel score.
0: No, I just had to do a pun, and Danny Elfman crotters is the only Doug I could think of. All right, so so, (laughs) I got that one, and now let's see if you can do this one. Skill little skid da, wow. Skibble I should
2: know this. Because it, I mean, it it sounds like, is it it
0: Star Trek? It is not Star Trek. It is uh, unfortunate. I wish I could do more of the song, but that's literally all I know of this.
2: I'll know it the moment you say it, and it's like. Indiana Jones or Star
0: Trek. Damn it. Everybody's probably Skiddle screaming li- right now. Oh, Superman. There we go. Sean <laughs> Williams.
2: Yeah. I've, oh, that's right. It's
0: been a while since I've seen Superman. I knew it. You're just not used to hearing Superman so jazzy. This next segment is called Edible Arrangements. What are you talking about? This is the exact same sound quality that the last segment was in. We definitely didn't record this episode in two sessions, one of which we were in person because we both became fully vaccinated. This is the same as the previous section. You must be imagining it. Edible Arrangements is a segment where... Well, here's the thing. Me and Jim both kind of got into weed late in life because I think it's true. Like We're both kind of averse to smoking in general.
2: Yeah, Um, unlike Kevin Smith. I mean, he got into it late in life, but he smokes. Right,
0: yeah, we're not really into smoking. Every time I've ever smoked weed, I just always felt I was doing it wrong and wasting someone's drugs, and I always just avoided it. But weed became legal in 2020 in Illinois, and with that came edibles, and then suddenly... Uh, the drug is accessible and i think we've both um sort of have again late to the party discovered the joy of watching movies while high and i was i was curious what your sort of um approach is to watching like a choosing a movie what what kinds of movies do you tend to gravitate to um when you're high it's kind of a
2: cliche to say like the heady science fiction you you like that yeah really do magic like they work magically on my brain while Mm I'm watching it and i i feel like i can focus a little bit better and you know um anything that kind of just requires a lot of deep thinking or like just deep focus i'm able to do pretty well i mean but i i said before the first movie i watched high was such a silly one that i was like wow i'm laughing at everything i'm all alone this rarely happens this is great and that was the monkey's head and it was a perfect. Movie is this to watch. first
0: first ever or just first in this year when you started um, taking edibles?
2: I think it was the. Well, it was definitely the first movie I watched high.
0: Yeah, yeah. That's the, a, I mean, I, 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 I love that movie sober, but that is a fucking that is a whacked out psychedelic movie. I think I, on some podcast. Oh, that's right. Me and Gabe Powers did an episode of Genre Grinder. Yes, about, I think that's where I heard about it. Uh, music films, and I am just a massive fan of Head. Yeah, but I watched Interstellar high too. Yeah. And that was great. I I so I also have I have ADHD and I do find that like I I kind of hyper focus but it's almost like um it's almost like a fire hose where it's like it's kind of hard to control and so I can hyper focus on a movie but if something else happens I'll start hyper so it's not necessarily like a cure for ADHD or anything no but I've actually found rather than like kind of weird trippy movies I really like watching like. Super meticulously crafted, like logic driven movies because um, I am high and I just see all the pieces interlocking. Like, Jurassic Park was fucking incredible. <laughs> um, uh, Assault in Precinct 13 is another fucking phenomenal movie. I wouldn't have thought
2: that, but it's yeah. well, it's because it's so apocalyptic. I'm worried about it
0: making me a little too tense. <laughs> it, I mean, it is it is tense, but it's also like I found that the drugs were necessary for me to skip the corny acting, oh. which is a thing with a lot of early Carpenter movies for me. It's just sort of like Dark Star, especially. Uh, well, that yeah, that's a different sort of. That's a comedy, so that's sort of mm-hmm. intentionally so. But like stuff like Escape from New York, I kind of I enjoy Escape from New York, but I I enjoy it in spite of the performances, which I kind of make me roll my eyes. There's a certain I don't know, but, um, but like I saw on Precinct 13, when I was high, I was just able to, like, sort of focus in on it and just sort of feel that doom encroaching. I like getting fucking scared too, so, um, Lucio Fulci's Conquest, I already talked about on the Lucio <laughs> oh. Fulci episode, but um, I, I like...
2: <laughs> Maybe I should have watched the Beyond High. <laughs> yeah, no,
0: for real, I think I would enjoy that, um, though that's the anti-logic movie, that is the anti-type mm-hmm. mechanism movie. Um... Give me that dream logic.
4: This next segment is called text-to-speech. In this segment we talk about The Matrix movies. Jim, how do you feel
3: about The Matrix? Hello Patrick. I watch The Matrix probably once a year because it doesn't feel too dated to me and remains enjoyable from beginning to end, kind of like Fight Club. The effects hold up, the themes, ideas are interesting to me, and most of all, it's just damned entertaining. But Bill Ackerman doesn't like it and that's surprising. Nevertheless, I am curious to see what Lana Wachowski does with the upcoming Matrix 4 since the only thing I haven't cared for by either Wachowski is Jupiter Ascending. I think it will be weird to return to Zion and that world after all this time at a rather lackluster conclusion to the trilogy. What are your thoughts on this franchise? I first saw The Matrix when I
4: was 12 so it has always been the coolest possible thing I can imagine. About once a month I tell myself I should rewatch those sequels but I never do. But I have nothing but respect for a series that drove itself into the ground chasing esoteric philosophical conversations and anime influences in an era where anime was still a very dorky thing to be into. We recently saw Star Wars drive itself into the ground with Solo and Rise of Skywalker because Disney was terrified of artists making films lightly dusted with personality making their racist sexist fanboys mad. Compared to that, is the boring ass mealy-mouthed climax of Matrix Reloaded such a crime? As a rule my faith in sequels that arrive years and years after the fact is always set at zero percent. But I do think it's interesting that Lana has chosen two novelists as her collaborators. One is the author of Cloud Atlas and the other is a MacArthur Fellow and former Bosnian war refugee. Much more interesting than like, David Goyer. Have you opened your heart to anime yet, Jim? When's the last time you watched the Animatrix? And why did you bring up Bill Ackerman? He's probably listening to this right now, his
3: ears are probably burning. I watched the Animatrix way too long ago when it was first released. Liked it, didn't love it. Outside of Miyazaki, I don't emotionally connect too strongly to anime but there are definite titles that you recommend that I'll catch up with eventually like When Marnie Met Sally. I was just surprised to have talked to someone like Bill Ackerman, who didn't like The Matrix. I thought everyone did. I hope to see you in December at a movie theater for The Matrix 4, the final chapter. Have a nice day, Patrick. Peace out.
0: This next segment is called Tonal Recall, and it's a game we've played before on these uh, birthday episodes. Jim, how about you explain how it works?
2: Well, I first heard this game on Film Junk where they basically play a short, medium, long clip. Uh, before, it was just scores, but then they did dialogue. And so, basically, i am just done whatever sounds, sounds interesting from a movie. Mm-hmm. And... You know, we, we basically just have to figure it out, hopefully, on the short. If not, then I play a longer clip and then an even longer clip.
0: That's right. There are three lengths for the clips we're playing, and it's sort of like Name That Tune, except it's uh, instead of individual notes, it's about uh, the length of the clip. Um, now, we've both provided one for each other. Um, Jim, would you like to go first? I will. Okay, so go ahead and play the short clip. I, and now I'm going to go ahead and say right now, Oops. this is too easy. You say
2: that a lot. And then I'm like, what is this? I have no clue.
0: All right. Go ahead. <laughs> ah.
2: Oh my God. I should, so I should know that based on it. Well,
0: hmm. You should. Okay. I can guarantee, I, love the I can guarantee that someone.
2: <laughs> you want you, to you play it again? You it can reminds play a short clip more than once. I know, but it reminds me of. It just reminds me, from Kill Bill. But I don't think that's it. No, that's. Yeah. It's a different note. I think I have to go medium. I'm sorry. All right, play the medium. Oh. Wow. Could this be my favorite film of last year? Lover's Rock.
0: It is. Yeah. Oh my god. Okay. Yeah. That's why I Cause said it yeah, that's what cuz you it plays it three times in the fucking movie. I watched that movie the other day. Yeah. I I should have gotten the <laughs> That's why I said it was too easy. But and definitely for sure someone I, heard that short clip and instantly knew.
2: Well,
0: that I mean you didn't recognize it cuz no one was pounding on the walls. That's true. <laughs> Isn't that movie incredible? It's a Mercury Sound. That is what you just heard. Um when they all start singing that song, Silly Games, I'm just like That was a, that was a movie. Oh. So that was um, I avoided new movies last last year Just because it was just too depressing But I've been back in theaters and stuff And I'm ready to just sort of check out movies I missed in 2020 And that was a movie that was both you and Bill Ackerman's Favorite film of 2020 And the first 20 minutes I was like I don't know what the fuck they're talking about This is really <laughs> It's fine But there's really nothing special about this It really Ugh. kind of sneaks up on you It sure does um, Yeah, by the end that movie is fucking and incredible And again, it's
2: not a music genre I gravitate towards no, necessarily I'm not into
0: reggae or dumb Yeah
2: but I I liked it in the moment. Uh, (laughs) Go ahead and play the long clip. Oh, I should, yes. Let me go back to it, then. You're right, I should have done that. Okay, here we go. It's coming. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wow. Yep, yeah, yep, you're right. (laughs) Oh my God, Patrick, a whole bunch of people are coming through the door right now. We're party, party! Mercury sound! Yeah, that's amazing.
0: Every once in a while, just ever since I watched that movie, that that little chant that they do at the end just gets stuck in my head. That movie's fucking cool. I don't
2: know if you'll get this one. I mean, it's a movie you've given five stars. Okay. So I'm guessing it's a favorite. I don't know how recently you've seen it, though. Mm Mm-hmm to me it's one of the very memorable scenes, and it involves music of sorts. mm-hmm, here we go
1: no! No!
0: Yeah! one more time no! 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 Yeah! so <laughs> My first guess, and not, not from the music, in fact, I think, I think this is a wrong, incorrect guess because I'm pretty familiar with the music in this movie, and I don't think this is one of them, but I could be wrong. Just from the sound effects in the background, I think this is Scorpio Rising.
2: Oh, no. But that's a really good guess. Okay. Wow. I should have chose that. That would have been good, too. One more time? Um, yeah. Short? One more time? <laughs>
0: <laughs> I love that yeah' I'm to, go ahead and play the medium i can't I can't quite figure it out. see,
2: it's not a movie that's known for its music either, yeah. but there's a scene in
0: particular
2: that's very memorable involved ah! Ah! Yeah! Yeah,
1: yeah! Oh, yeah!
0: that's funny, so you said when when you said right before you said that's it's not a movie known for its music, my first thought was. I don't think I gave American Graffiti five stars, but this kind of sounds like it could be American Graffiti. You too. did, but
2: it's not okay, American but,
0: Graffiti. But American Graffiti, obviously known for its music. Um Yeah. Uh I'm trying now, like I because I just went over for uh, another segment. I just went over all my five star reviews, which there are very few. I don't give five stars very often. Um so I've definitely looked at the poster and title of this movie within three hours, but I just hmm. It's not coming immediately to mind. It is not a fighting elegy, though. It kind of has the energy. Um, go ahead and play the long one.
2: Happy to. Ah! Oops, I don't know what is it. Point blank, it's the scene where Lee Marvin is killing somebody at a club. Where the, oh, okay, and uh, the guy is yeah, playing yeah. Some crazy music. You see a close up of his face, and he's like,
0: I mean, ah, I've probably watched this in the past six years, seven years, something like that. I saw that when I was working at the video store, so that must have been like twenty fifteen or twenty sixteen. Okay, um, my fourth favorite movie. It's good. It's a good one. <laughs> I I just didn't remember any of the music from it.
2: Yeah, I know. And I was like watching that scene going, God, this is the most insane thing. And it's just, it stands out because nothing, it's nothing like
0: the rest of the movie, really. Yeah, for sure. Number, number, number. So this next segment is the lightning round. Um, this is something that we used to do on Directors Club all the time um, until I broke a glass and cut myself. And oh, I we, God, I, I forgot about this think we segment after that. Ooh. Um, here's what we're going to do. Jim is going to put two minutes on the clock. And I'm going to work backwards from the most recent movie I've seen and work backwards from there and try to see how many movies I can briefly talk about in those two minutes. Um, So, Jim, whenever you're ready. Ready? Yep. Go. Go. I Married a Monster from Outer Space is a really fucking great body snatchers movie um, it was an inspiration for David Lynch for Twin Peaks I could say it for two reasons one there's the husband who's not who he seems and two when the aliens die creamed corn comes out of them that looks fucking identical that's to that right. weird creamed corn that happens in the Twin Peaks fire walk with me Heat is a fucking great movie on the big screen but it's also a movie that's been ripped off so much that a lot of the stuff kind of feels tired now and I really am not interested in any of the characters <laughs> um, Alchemist Cookbook I'm a huge fan of Joel Petrikus but I think this is, this is least interesting movie it's kind of you instantly know what's going to happen and it doesn't have that amazing performance by Joshua Burgess the way that uh, the other films I love do lovers rock uh, absolutely incredible um, party movie really sneaks up on you especially moving obviously in the in 2020 in an era when we can have no parties at all scum of the earth is a fucking grimy ass movie by Herschel Gordon Lewis about a teenage girl who gets sucked into the world of pornographic modeling um, just really fucking sleazy and gross. The first Ruffy, Widows, still an underrated fucking banger. Every fucking scene in Widows is good. All the performances are good. It was funny seeing Widows and then seeing heat right after it. I realized I actually kind of like Widows more, even though obviously Widows would never exist without heat and Widows doesn't have anything as good as those bank heist scenes. But like the characters are more interesting and there's just a lot more interesting. Little details in it. Widow's definitely the one I would go back and watch again. Um, Ocean's Eleven is almost sickening because it is so fucking slick that I actually like, couldn't even think while I was watching it. I would just realize that I was zoning out and I couldn't remember how one scene began and one scene ended because everything just kind of slides into each other. I'm actually not a big fan of that movie anymore. Oh, Homecoming by Joe Dante is an episode of Masters of Horror, which was a, a series on Showtime. Uh, where they got a bunch of notable horror directors to do uh, hour-long uh, episodes of TV horror. This one is a satire on the Iraq War. It's built on the false premise that the Iraq War was not bipartisan, which it was, and that voting could have ended it, which it could, couldn't have. Um, but it is really interesting, and it does deal with the idea that um, when you have a forever war like we've had, Um, the idea of returning veterans becomes very inconvenient and how you choose to deal with that um, becomes an ongoing problem for a government launching a forever war. And that was not something talked about in 2005, but he got there because he was interested in the parallels between Iraq and Vietnam. And I do think that is one of the few episodes of that show that is worth watching. And that is it for me. Oh, wow, that was great. Okay, so you have two minutes. I'm going to pull up a little timer on my guy. Okay, here we go. Are you ready? I think so. Okay. One,
2: two three go woman in the window should have stayed on the shelf i don't know why i decided to watch this but it was pretty much dumbed down to palma like the teleported steak from the fly it had no flavor at all i thought it was incredibly bad including aiding amy adams which i never thought i'd say uh dopamine is a little movie it's a sundance movie from the early 2000s and i watched it because sabrina lloyd is in it i plan on interviewing her huge fan uh the movie itself is okay uh This is just one of those pleasant indie dramedies that Patrick would not like. Uh, Seance is a decent little horror film, which is the directorial debut of Simon Barrett, whose interview will also be a bonus treat coming soon. The star of the show is the lead, Suki Waterhouse, who I think we'll be seeing way more of. There's a final act that is very unexpected and cool. Brick holds up beautifully. It's one of those films that I watch every few years because I kind of, I strangely forget how things play out when I watch it, which is kind of cool. Uh, I also wish Lucas Lucas Haas would play more villains, and Ryan Johnson rules. We all know that. The Empty Man is still a movie that I wish I loved way more than other horror podcasters seem to. Uh, the first twenty minutes are incredible, so everybody should check it out. Uh, but I'm still, I still think it's kind of a mess. I don't know. And uh, I mentioned last, I also watched the Billie Eilish documentary and loved watching her make a great record in her bedroom with her brother. And I also felt very anxious for her at times because her rise to fame was so fast. Uh, saw Mulholland Drive on my birthday because it's my favorite movie. Saw Synecdoche, New York with Patrick and everybody that attended there. Again, that's my second favorite movie. It was wonderful to see in the music boxes. 35mm print. Uh, I saw Atlantic City, Louis Mal film that has a great Burt Lancaster performance late career. Highly, highly recommend it. I think you're going to be hearing more about that one soon enough. And uh, Fight Club, rewatched that And I kind of love it even more now than, than I ever have I'm shocked I, And then there's Elevator to the Gallows Which is another Louis Mal film that I also really loved And I think people will be really You're surprised by, by how that goes It's an interesting film noir of sorts Alright
3: <laughs> You will notice a fine white ash on your body This is the outer epithelial layers of your skin That have been burned away
0: Okay Jim, here is the next segment In front of you is a knife. It is nine inches long and serrated and a baseball bat. It is made of aluminum with a rubber handle. And there is an angry fucking pissed off large man in front of you. You have to grab one. He will grab the other. Both of you will fight to the death. Which do you grab knife or bat?
2: I think I'm going to grab the bat. I, I want to die quick. (laughs) I I want the, I want the guy that is your
0: suicide then.
2: Yeah. I mean, well, I don't know. I, I'm going to hit him a lot with the bat, hopefully.
0: But if you die, you don't want it to be from blunt force trauma, is what you're saying.
2: I think if I just got stabbed, hopefully not that many times, I would die quickly. I don't know. That's hard to know. I haven't been stabbed yet. No, not yet. But you're (laughs) you're still young. (laughs) The night is
0: young, honestly. We have a lot of segments left to do. Um, Yeah. I've never heard someone answer this question with the contingency plan of if I lose, first and foremost in mind. But honestly, that is what... That is a smart. I'm not a violent approach. person, and it's hard right. for me to imagine like beginning. Yeah, you are not over, You're not overconfident in your uh, your uh, ability to fight to the death the way some might be. But adrenaline is a
2: weird thing. You just right. don't know how you're. going to I've heard respond. a lot of
0: you know there's stories about people getting stabbed. They don't even realize it happened because the adrenaline is up. Yeah, I feel like that has probably never been true of someone being smashed with an aluminum baseball bat.
2: I know. The idea of that kind of freaks me out a right. little bit more than right. being stabbed. But I'm sure being stabbed is painful and terrible. Yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> for sure. How about you? Um, bad, because oh. there's range.
2: Number three.
0: This next segment is called DVD Makeout Menu. Now, this is a phenomenon that in the history of film really only existed in a short time because we are exiting the era of home media and we're certainly exiting the era of like menu music. I feel like most menus now That's in true. home media is, is are very stripped down. People don't want them to be too interactive to have too many elaborate animations or anything like that. They just want to get to the fucking movie. But there was a period of time where one would instead of Netflix and chill, they would put on a DVD with a part with a romantic partner or a hopeful potential romantic partner. And then at some point during the movie, you would stop paying attention to the movie and start paying attention to each other. And your, your uh, rendezvous would continue past the end of the movie, at which point the DVD would go back to the menu and you would have a sexual encounter scored to DVD menu music. I think this is something we're both of the age we've probably experienced of some sort. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think people younger than us might be leaving the age where that is something that they understand. True. I have certain milestones that I connect with Howard Shore's score to Ed Wood because I Ooh. heard that fucking theremin during it because that movie ended. Um, true, sure, sure, sure. So this segment is about us trying to figure out what do you think the worst possible fucking DVD menu music um, yep. To have a romantic encounter to would be.
2: And then we have to actually test it out. And then
0: we have to test it out on each other live on the air. Yes. Absolutely.
2: Uh, I was thinking um, the song from the ending of Rambo First Blood Part Two, which is uh, <laughs> <laughs> Peace in Our Life, sung by Frank Stallone. <laughs> does that play over the menu? I don't
0: know if it does. That'd be amazing if they did the ha- Rambo DV- uh, Part Two. I think I got the 4K. but I, I, You got I, the 4K of Rambo.
2: First I, it's, 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 I know it's dumb. Mm-hmm. It's a really bad movie, but yeah. I like it anyway. Yeah, I think it would just be one of those. Pr- again, Cobra and First Blood Part Two, uh-huh. I watched a lot when mm-hmm. I was younger, and I know they're bad. I still like him, or I was thinking the score from the Police Academy movies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, though it would, though it would fit
0: because I feel like a lot of those That's scenes like end, with, like, end with like, with like Steve Gutenberg making a face and then the camera pans away as it's implied he gets lucky. Yeah, so like I feel like I would feel like the Goot if I was <laughs> if I was getting lucky with that music behind me. Yeah, and I'd be like, yeah, this is pretty good. Um, and I figured
2: out why I like Forrest Gump because I made out in the movie theater.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. That's I, why I like it. I would I, I think if I took so if I went to the Blue Oyster Club, and I, got, I, took, oh, God, God. I took a leather gentleman home with me from the Blue That's Oyster so Club, <laughs> and then I heard that I think that would be
1: <laughs>
0: you know you can imagine getting flogged to that song. Sure, <laughs> so. I think that, that sounds like the move. Probably the best thing about those movies yeah, I like. Yeah, that the score theme. is good. It's, it's not bad. Um, so, for me, I have two directions. One is that the menu music for Hostel is literally just a sound of a buzzsaw and people screaming. Oh, God. <laughs> and that would be no good. Wow. Um, worse than that. that. Yeah. Worse than just the sound of someone being tortured on an endless loop is when you yourself are tortured on an endless loop. And that's why my actual official vote goes to Groundhog's Day, (laughs) which the DVD menu has a... The Weatherman? Not the Weatherman, a bad version, instrumental version of the Weatherman that loops for 12 seconds. Because I watched Groundhog's Day, or Groundhog's Day is put on at this point every Groundhog's Day because my partner is really into it i at this point do not even like the movie I anymore know, we talked about this last yeah time. yeah but um yeah. it's fine but uh, it's not it has anything to do with the movie it's just i can't i can't rewatch movies like that um but so i've heard that dvd menu music endlessly um my partner not as perturbed by that song than I, as i am so sometimes that dvd menu will be left on a long time and let me tell you something i'd rather be tortured with a buzzsaw segment is called Tip Your Gore, um, which is <laughs> not even really a pun and doesn't really have much to do with the segment. I wanted to know, what was the first time you saw gore in a in a movie? Al Gore? Yes. What was the first time you saw an inconvenient truth?
2: Oh, man. I can't remember now.
0: Okay, Well, <laughs> what was the first time you saw bloody, gory violence in a movie?
2: Well, I, th- I might have told this before, but I snuck down, st- and it's not Henry Porch for Serial Killer, it's I snuck downstairs at the age of seven and on HBO... Maybe at two in the morning, uh, the first Nightmare
0: on Elm Street was on, mm. and I've heard that one a lot. Maybe because I've <laughs> already asked this question of you, and I've already heard the story. But it's possible. Yeah,
2: it's possible. I've talked about it before. I mean, I must have when we did Wes Craven. But uh, when he chopped off his fingers, and it's kind of played for
0: laughs. Really? I was like, when he goes, check this out. Yeah. Like he's, he's like, and it's not even it's green goo, in that it's yeah. not even really gore. I guess
2: it isn't really that, gore, that not gore, in fact. Well, then obviously her death. I, I one, once we got to Tina's death, and she just flopped on the f- bed mm-hmm. and all that blood. Yeah, I turned it off and I actually started crying.
0: Yeah, <laughs> I was okay. like, I can't handle this. My brain cannot handle this at, could, at this age. So let's let's define gore as organs or Ooh. like dismemberment stuff like that, not just blood spray. Yeah, I feel like they that first Nightmare on Elm Street movie doesn't have gore.
2: I mean, you know the what way gore, she's
0: killed... It's it's violent I mean, it's and it's bloody. bloody. Yeah, but it's not gore. Okay. I that is a, To me, that's always been the distinction, is blood and gore are two separate things that go together a lot because it's hard to have gore without blood um, unless you have, like, a scene where someone gets cut in half by a laser and it, all the wounds are cauterized. But, like, gore is, like... Like, for me, the first gore I ever saw was the first quote-unquote, horror movie I ever saw, which was Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. Oh, sure. When the heart gets ripped out. Like, that is fucking gory. That's in true. Fact, in fact, that's gory, but not bloody. <laughs> now that I think about <laughs> I it.
2: I wonder if... Well, that might be pretty close. That that could very well, well be Do mine you think we both
0: saw that? That was the first time we saw it? Very young. I mean, I, that, was not, I was not prepared. was not prepared. wild? And it wasn't... My parents did not go, oh, we got to turn this off. And believe me, they saw that scene because I watched that tape endlessly. There was no gore in Ghostbusters, right? No. Okay.
2: (laughs) I don't know why. I just thought maybe like Zool does something crazy. Someone Um, gets slimed. It's mm, not the same. Okay. Yeah. I think it would be Temple of Doom then. Yeah. Because I I saw that in the theater. It's fucked up. Number thirty-two. (laughs) What happened? is Jim has a cassette tape that he recorded back
0: when he was a little kid and we were going to record over it because it's terrible but instead he's recording our voices while still maintaining the original recording on the cassette tape which is something in all of my years of of, of, of using cassette tapes I've never heard of that's not the way that magnetic magnetic fucking tape is supposed to work, it's not supposed to multi-track but right now you are probably hearing Uh. both me and the weird Uh, sounds under it so I think it's a Ghost, Jim. What do you think is happening I'm
2: terrified. Oh. I, I, mean, I have, have a haunted man. cassette for player, yeah, but I'm more scared
0: mean? about what no. you're hearing. I right. There are voices. Well, I kind of no. don't want to stop talking because then they'll hear the little radio yeah. drama. And let's be clear, everybody uh, of a yeah. certain age had a boombox yes. that they could like record more. onto tapes, Run, and they friend. got together and they did little radio shows with their friends. This is not like mm-hmm. an they embarrassing. We did weird voices. T- weird voices. You did like It is. It's like I interview your friend like their famous movie star or whatever like this is not an embarrassing thing because this is like it, it's embarrassing because you're probably hearing it now but it's not like uh, I'm, I'm trying to explain to like again I don't know how many people we have who who are actually younger I think probably most people who listen are our age or older but like we don't know what's happening with this cassette tape it's very strange
2: and I don't yeah, know if I have other cassette tapes what is going on?
0: or not right and but I mean, no blank cassette tape surely no so this original segment was going to be us know. talking about VHS I have a micro no. cassette recorder but well, what I did was I left the fucking batteries in it and they leaked and now the shit don't work I tried cleaning it out and getting new batteries and everything and it just don't work so you're like oh we can use this cassette recorder turns out it's surely not haunted wrong wrong This is haunted. That's okay. That's okay. Okay. Now people are really freaked out. Happy birthday, by the way. You've definitely grown a lot since. What what age would you say you were under the the, the the previous recording? Fourteen. Fourteen. Hell yeah.
2: Yeah, did some weird there? things around that time. when you yeah. you you're high in the high school.
0: Yeah, oh, for sure. Weird songs, uh-huh. and weird
2: plays. Yeah. yeah. Weird voices all around.
0: Yeah, just, good ah, think you don't do that shit anymore. You definitely don't do uh, parody songs and weird voices on this very podcast. I have no podcast. idea what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> I don't do any of that stuff at all. Anyway, at this point, maybe I feel like I should cut my finger and drop a little blood into the, into the, 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 the uh, tape player, and then it would. Oh, uh,
2: Maybe some spirits would come
0: out At the very least If you have any idea What the fuck is happening You should send an email To directorsclubpodcast At gmail.com And tell us How a Very Not fancy Not multi-track This is not a four-track Tape recorder And we actually Let the other ones playing This is a single cassette tape Where you're hearing Our voice And whatever fucking Weird shit is under it This could be very annoying To listen to Because you're hearing Two different things You're right Let's end the segment Right now Fourteen This next segment is called Demonology Bracketology. What I've done is I've created a classic uh, bracket of horror icons um, right here. And what we're going to do is we're going to go through these horror actors um, and we're going to determine who the greatest is. Via brackets, um, which is the way you determine any important artistic endeavor. So I've mostly gone with horror actors. I've got uh, who play villains. Um, so this is heavily male-oriented because I felt it would be harder to compare uh, the quote-unquote scream queens of the, which is what most female actors in horror movies end up being, um, to like a Christopher. Like who's who's better, uh, Christopher Lee or Jamie Lee Curtis? Like hard to say. But uh, who's better, Christopher Lee or Boris Karloff? Might be easier. We'll find out. Okay, so Crap. our first our first matchup is Boris Karloff versus Barbara Steele.
2: Wow, that's a tough one right off the bat. I actually love them both.
0: You do? I think so.
2: I mean, I'd say I, I do like Karloff.
0: Yeah. <sighs> Barbara Steele of Black Sunday and Nightmare Ooh, Castle and yeah. um, probably a bunch of giallo she's into Barbara Steele worked for a while she had those great eyes that's true and I'm a sucker for great eyes yeah it's true um I want to go with Barbara you're gonna go with Barbara I'm I going with so. Boris okay because I'm literally writing a fucking album about Boris Karloff he's my favorite guy yeah um I think true. I think the most scientific I've way to determine a with her. I yeah. think the most scientific way to break a tie is to play uh, rock, paper, scissors. So let's do that right now. I haven't right.
2: done this in forever, too. Mm, mm,
0: mm. No, it's, oh, it's
2: one, two, three, shoot. All
0: right. right. One, two, three, shoot. All right. So Bar- Boris Karloff goes on. I won that, that one. That makes sense. Scissors cuts paper.
2: I'm fine with that. Okay. Because I was torn anyway.
0: Next is Christopher Lee versus John Carradine. Easy. Easy, yeah. fucking hard to think of someone uh, less addict, less equipped to defeat Christopher Lee, the greatest Dracula, <laughs> than John Carradine, the worst Dracula. Not the worst yeah. Dracula. There's a shit ton of Draculas out there, but like Leslie Nielsen was Dracula, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, but of the official Universal Horror Dracula, Lee, John Carradine is boring as hell. Let's yeah. go with CL on that one. Agreed. Next is, agreed. Next is Peter Laurie versus Sid Haig. Uh, <laughs> I love, them, I love them both. I do kind of like Peter Laurie. Peter Laurie's great. More. He was in he was in uh, several uh, Roger Corman uh, Edgar Allan Poe movies. Oh, he but was Spider in Mad Baby.
2: He Sid Haig. Yeah,
0: yes, Sid Haig was in Spider Baby. He was in House of a Thousand Corpses and Devil's oh, Rejects, which you love. Oh, ver, um, he's got that crazy fucking face. I'm uh, I'm going to go with M. I'm going with P.L. What about you? Yeah, P.L. Okay, yes, Peter yes, Laurie yes, 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 advances yes. to the next round. Next, we have Lon Chaney senior, mind you, Ooh. versus Brad Dourif. Brad Dourif, very scary man, not necessarily in a wide variety of horror films, um, but just consistently fucking terrifying. Lon Chaney, senior, one of the all-time great silent movie actors, uh, oh, incredible man. physicality, um, not, just, not just with makeup, but the things he could do with his body language and everything. Utterly yeah. incredible. I also think of Brad Dourif in The Exorcist 3. That's true. Great in The Exorcist three. Man. Great in that at one episode of the X Files.
2: Oh God, yeah, amazing episode.
0: Uh. All right, I I have in my head what is, and then you say yours. I'm gonna say, Lon Chaney. Yeah, same. It's LC. <laughs> it's LC it all was the
2: way. it was a little tough.
0: But Look, yeah. I'm a fucking I'm a fucking uh, old school horror bitch. I love the old school horror actors. I'm sorry that uh we're we're knocking out so many new classics. Uh, Lon Chaney Jr. versus Robert Englund. On the other hand. Um, I gotta go with Robert England. Yeah, I do too, for sure. Lon, here's the thing about Lon Chaney Jr. Lon Chaney Jr. is a thick-ass Dracula. <laughs> He's a Son of Dracula. He plays Dracula. Mm. He calls himself Count Alucard. He is not actually the son of Dracula. He was the is, wolfman too, right? He is the wolfman, of course. He played the mummy. Mm. Um, they would probably would have put him in the fucking uh, Creature from the Black Lagoon suit if he wasn't a full-blown <laughs> alcoholic at that point and would have gotten the Benz. Um, we're gonna. Go I once saw Lon Chaney Jr. dancing with the Queen. Yeah, absolutely, doing the Werewolf of London, but not good enough to defeat Robert England. Terrifying, not just as Freddy Krueger, but also as Buck, who's raring to fuck oh. in *Eaten <laughs> Alive*. Um, terrifying.
2: I never realized that was taken, or or Tarantino took that from. Yeah. That uh, it took me. It yeah, took me
0: until a recent watch of yeah, *Eaten Alive*. *Eaten yeah. Alive*, fantastic film. Um, Robert England gets devoured by a uh, crocodile. I don't know what else you would want. Next is Lionel Atwill versus Peter Cushing. Peter Cushing, of course, played Dr. Frankenstein in the Hammer films. He uh, played Van Helsing in the Hammer Dracula films. He played the hero in a lot of Hammer movies, but he was also a terrific villain. Um, also in non-horror movies, he was a great villain, like in Star Wars. Lionel Atwill, um, you might not know. He's probably less known these days, but he was, a, he was the mad scientist in the 30s. Um, so I saw Dr. X because of you. Right. So he's great in Dr. X. He's, a, he's the mad doctor of Market Street, uh, mm-hmm. which is an... Basically, it's basically another uh, sort of Dr. Moreau kind of a thing. That's true. Yeah. Lionel Atwell basically was just the absolutely morally confident that what he's doing is correct. And he has a posh accent and he can sort of get off like, of course, I'm I'm going to take these natives. I'm going to cut off their heads. I'm going to put animal heads on. It's going to be (laughs) fantastic. Like, and then... um, he just doesn't know how crazy he is. Peter Cushing, on the other hand, um, hard to overstate how effective Peter Cushing is as Frankenstein in those Hammer Frankenstein movies. Um, I'm going PC. What about you? Me too. Okay, we're going with PC. Um, next, Bela Lugosi versus Kane Hodder. It's Bela Lugosi. I'm <laughs> yeah, not fucking, yeah, yeah, fucking Let's not fucking play around. <laughs> That's
2: ridiculous.
0: One of these is a stuntman and one of these is a horror icon. Next is Jeffrey Combs versus Vincent Price. I like Jeffrey Combs quite a bit. But Vincent Price is Vincent, Vincent Price. Vincent Price is Vincent Price. All right. So now we are on to the next round. We have Boris Karloff versus Christopher Lee. This is Ooh. the first real hard one, The Battle of the Frankensteins. Um, wow. Christopher Lee, of course, had a much... Uh, no, I would not say he had a longer career because Boris Karloff worked forever in silent films before he was ever Frankenstein, and he was doing those movies. Like I think he died a, a week after shooting the <laughs> the final movie of his career. Christopher Lee, of course... Was beloved by a lot of nerdy uh, directors who went on to become the biggest sort Tim of Hollywood Burton, stars. Anybody? So you got uh, Tim Burton. You have uh, Peter Jackson loving Christopher Lee. You have George Lucas loving Christopher That's Lee. Great. Christopher Lee, all time great horror icon. I have in my head which I'm going to go with, and you say yours out loud.
2: Burger King, uh, BK.
0: Yeah, same. I'm sorry, Boris Karloff yeah. is just the fucking greatest. I love Boris Karloff. Next we have Lon Chaney Sr. versus Peter Laurie. I think I want to go with Peter Laurie again. I think. You're right. It is Peter Laurie. Peter Laurie, unbelievable.
2: And so original in every way. Yeah. There was never another Peter Laurie. Very
0: scary, very funny, very heartbreaking. He could be anything. He He was an arsenic and old lace, right? Peter Um, Laurie? No, maybe
2: I'm thinking of
0: possibly. You know, I've only seen the movie version once. I was not a big fan. That to me is the thing that needs to work be on stage to work. But um, You're
2: probably right, but I could watch characters. I know Carlo. Yeah, no,
0: that's that's fair enough. Karloff was Arsenic and old lace in yeah, on, he was. on stage, yeah. and Lore and Peter Laurie was a uh, oh, excellent. but M, you know, obviously, M. obviously M, tales of terror, mm, yep. uh, where he uh, <laughs> where he plays the uh, <laughs> uh, in the black cat segment, just absolutely fucking perfect. Next we have Robert England versus Peter Cushing. I Here's didn't think what I'm,
2: it was, I didn't think this would be hard.
0: Yeah, so Robert England. The thing about Robert England, and I read Robert England's I read Robert England's uh Oh, that's funny. Uh, I didn't realize that you had a little dream demon poster right up there. Yeah. So I read Robert England's memoir, and that dude seems kind of legitimately scuzzy. It was like one of those things where every movie he's like, and I got to work with the lovely Heather Langenkamp, camp, which very beautiful, not not too hard on the eye. Like just enough uh, of those kind of comments where you're just like, fucking go away. And that kind of I feel like maybe some of that. Menace that he gets across in movies is because he is actually kind of like the creepy. Not, I'm not saying he is a fucking <laughs> rapist, uh, child molester, murderer, but I am. I am saying there is like a little creepy edge to Robert England, and maybe a little sense of self aggrandizing that like transfers to Freddy very well. I
2: always think of that scene in New Night, like New Nightmare, is not very good, mm-hmm. but I kind of th- there's moments in that, that I think are not intentionally funny, but I laugh at, like when yeah. he's going darker more evil. <laughs> I don't think he does it that campy, but he's still yeah. like that moment where he's like doing the painting and stuff. And he, she's calling him on the phone and he's just like, is this Freddie darker more evil? I That's just love funny.
0: that. I, I, I think Wes Craven was in sort of a weird comedy thing. Uh, like he, I think Wes Craven was trying to be like really arch. Cause that was also the same time he was doing vampire in Brooklyn. Hmm. Um, and I think he kind of wanted to do these like big sort of over the top choices with these grand themes or whatever, but, uh, I don't know about this Peter one. Cushing on the other hand, kindest, sweetest gentleman, but
2: in so many classes,
0: that is films. the thing that makes Frankenstein work so well is that he is just like, uh, sort of like what I said about Lionel Atwell, Peter Cushing did like way, way better where he's just sort mm-hmm. of absolutely assured at, at anything he has to do as Frankenstein to achieve his goal is without question justified. Yeah,
2: and if you're asking me who the better actor is. it's, it's better Peter actor Cushing. is Peter Cushing.
0: <laughs> better horror icon. Ooh. Ugh. Why does this have to be hard?
2: I mean, I want to go with Peter Cushing again. I think I do.
0: Uh, okay, let's do it. Let's do it. I mean, you got Frankenstein, Dracula. I mean, there's So much. Mm-hmm. So much. He's kind of racist in the uh, Hammer Mummy, so, they, ah. so you can say he's a little villainous there. Sure. Uh, Star next, Wars? He was in Star Wars. Bell Lagosi versus Vincent Price. I don't think they ever starred in a movie to. Bell Lugosi versus. Yo, you know what? Yeah, there was one. Were, I feel like i have seen it. There was one. It was Avon Costello, meet Frankenstein, because Bell Lagosi yes, played yes, yes, Dracula, yes. and that and Vincent Price appears at the very end as the Invisible Man. Um, he doesn't appear obviously, <laughs> but his voice, uh, the vocal talents of Vincent Price are in that movie. Bela Lugosi, underrated in his ability to be tragic. Um, That's a good point. There's a there is because he is so over the fucking top. Um, there is something uh to his face that is just that can be very sad, whereas Vincent Price he did not have he was consistent Vincent Price is consistently excellent in yeah. every fucking thing he ever did he did not Vincent Price does not wring emotions out of you right not normally no I don't think yeah I mean I don't he, think so he, he can he has range you know there's a big difference between um, Prince Prospero and uh, whatever the character is in uh, Witchfinder General oh, um,
2: yeah that's good
0: Ooh, I mean, Vincent. I know, I know the answer. I just wanted to give Bill his to too, but it's Vincent surprise, yeah. absolutely. All right, so I think we're in the semifinals now. We got Boris Karloff versus Peter Lorre. Uh oh, uh oh. We literally had Boris Karloff versus Peter Lorre in uh, Roger Corman's The Raven. Oh, which
2: right. I haven't seen it in a long time.
0: That is a, that is a like one of those like seventy one minute movies that you can throw on and just have a nice time anytime. I highly recommend having a copy of "The Raven" on hand um, for whenever the mood strikes you, and once you see it once, the mood will strike you again. Uh, but, but, but Peter Laurie is one of the greatest no. character actors of his day, Boris for Karloff. Him alone. Is, Boris Karloff is literally the icon of horror. <laughs> <laughs> um, Boris Karloff, with some generous help from Jack Pierce, I should say. Um, mm-hmm. But also Boris Karloff on his own, so many iconic roles. Peter Laurie the better actor, mm-hmm. without a doubt. Yeah. Boris Karloff, the more consistent. Uh, There's never a face like his. No, that's mm. true. Peter Lorre's got a fucking. <laughs> oh, face that's though.
2: true. <laughs> yeah, those. Peter yeah, Laurie those 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 oh.
0: eyelids. Holy shit. Uh, <sighs> I mean, you could flip a coin. We could flip a coin, but that would be doing both these men a diss- yeah, d- you're right. disservice. You're right. Oh, I have to go with Karloff. Same. All right, BK so. versus the winner of this matchup, which is Peter Cushing Oh, really? and Vincent Price. Okay. They were in House of Long Shadows together or something like that. They were in at some point towards the end <sighs> when uh, Vincent Price still had a contract with AIP. Peter Cushing was in one of those movies, but I don't think that they had a scene together. I can't remember the name of it. It might be Scream, Scream Again or
2: I'm a little about. biased only because I think the first voice I ever sought out, because I want to know who is that, was the end of the Thriller video.
0: Yeah. You know, I was like, who is that? I've never, I never heard a voice right. like that before. And uh, Peter Cushing is straight, and Vincent Price was not, so I'm going to (laughs) go ahead and say VP as well. Yeah, I think so. And now the hardest fucking choice I've ever made in my entire life. Boris, in the finals, we have Boris Karloff versus Vincent Price. I can't make this choice.
2: Uh, I
0: mean, I know you're doing an album on Boris Karloff. I am doing an album on Boris Karloff, but that's not necessarily just because Boris Karloff is my favorite actor. It was inspired because I'm reading Boris Karloff's biography. I've mm. already read Vincent Price's biography that his daughter wrote. Um, I should read that for sure. It's pretty good. Yeah, it's pretty I'd like good. To learn more, not a lot of. It's one of those things where not a lot of information about the like when you want read a Boris uh, a Vincent Price biography. What you want is at least partially a history of uh, sort of underground gay Hollywood, and you don't get a lot of that in the book. Um, I think Victoria Price has since then uh, talked about those things. I suggest, I think I made, made
2: this reference earlier, but you know, the, the, the teleportation device from the fly when it combines two things.
0: At what one point. What would Vincent Price and Boris Karloff together be?
2: Yeah. What would that be? I mean, it would be amazing, maybe.
0: Or <laughs> horrific. Yeah. Um, Frankenstein? Frankenstein versus Fives. Ooh. <laughs> which find, which, which, yeah, Witchfinder General versus Targets. Uh, uh... Vincent Price literally fucking saved West Coast art. <laughs> <laughs> he was in so many movies that he hated because he loved artists so much that he wanted to be able to support them. Um, he basically fucking found a way to smuggle money out of Hollywood and into artists' pockets.
2: I will see anything Vincent
0: Price is in. We gotta go VP. Vincent
2: Price, congratulations. You
0: are the greatest horror icon of I all think time. I think so. I
2: think so. I think we made a good choice.
0: Number 34. This next segment is called Microphone Check 1 2. What is this? Because that is what you say the first time when you are young in a world where rap isn't everywhere. The first time you hear rap, you go, What is this? This is so different. Mm. And me and you, we are 10 years apart. Happy 43rd birthday, Jim. Thank you. I'm, I'm 33. Glad I'm still here. I know for a fact, almost certainly, that we have different entry points into the world of rap. Um, I want to know the first time you ever heard rap music. I think I told the story on another podcast fairly recently, okay. but
2: my first exposure to rap was... Thank at, you, Peter Cushing. ...at the only time I went to summer camp, which was at the age of 12? Uh-huh. must have been. I barely made it through that experience, because I don't like the outdoors, and I was surrounded by a bunch of loud alpha males... And I knew I wasn't going to enjoy my time there. Uh, I wanted to read books and just stay in the cabin. But the one redeeming factor, a lot of the camp counselors there had a boombox. And on that boombox, I heard fear of a black planet. Really? God damn. You started at the fucking top well yeah I. but they were kind of like I didn't hear the whole album uh-huh. they were just playing I can't do nothing for you man over and over again so they can sing it uh, scream it out loud all uh-huh. the time and just be like hey man I can't do nothing for you man just
0: like that over and I over see. again and at one point they're dancing around. And I'm, I'm not as familiar with Fear of a Black Planet as I am It Takes a Nation of Millions. Is that an actual rap song or is that like a sort of a That's skit? Flavor Flav. Okay, okay. so yeah. it's a Flavor Flav. So I was going to say...
2: I can't remember the words. Yeah, sure. <laughs> but it's just Flavor Flav being Flavor Flav. And I just remember visually looking around the cabin and seeing everybody jumping and dancing mm-hmm. and it was nice. I was like, okay... Music can actually make me enjoy this experience. Now, mm-hmm. uh, I don't want to play volleyball.
0: <laughs> I uh, I grew up. My parents did not have a record player. They got rid of their record player as soon as tapes come in. They're not a they're not sentimental art collectors or whatever. So they were just mm-hmm. like, all right, well, we don't need this shit anymore. But my friend had a my friend's dad had a record player, and we would listen to Beach Boys records because it when you're like five, you're just like want sure stuff that's catchy, and so you just want to like dance around listening to Surfing USA. Um, and they had an MC Hammer record, which must have been a new record because it was. This had to have been like 1992, 1993. So they had to have gotten, gone to the store when MC Hammer was huge. This like very white ass fucking Presbyterian family must have just been like, this MC Hammer fella is really something else. And well, he was into God and stuff. I don't think at the time that he was. That uh, was his reputation.
2: You have to pray. Pray. Was that, that was it? a song.
0: Oh, that's funny. Pray. And, uh, but at any rate, we, we listened to can't touch this over and over and over again. And I remember like hearing record scratching. I'd be like, what the fuck? I thought it was like a zipper noise. i that's, that's a common, <laughs> uh, little kid, like misconception. When you first hear record scratching, you think it's someone like zipping up their zipper. Um, and it was, I'd never heard super freak. So to me, that was just the, you can't touch this. I remember the first time I heard super freak. I'm like, what the fuck is this? They fucked up. They fucked up a hammer. <laughs> mm. Um, and it was just yeah we would just dance around to it like it was the beach boys and i was just like yeah mc hammer is the as far as i knew there was one rapper there there was a guy who invented rap and his name was mc hammer and then at a certain point one of the older kids on the block was like mc hammer sucks ice cube and i'm like what's the fu- what's ice cube and i like i would sometimes i would like like to look at the video games on in the little best buy Sort of uh, advertisements that would come in the newspaper, or like look at the t- movies and stuff that sure, they sure. Would advertise. And I saw like an album, Death Certificate, Ice Cube, and it's looking mean oh, as fuck. Yeah. And I remember looking at that being like, oh shit, there's more rap and it's scary. <laughs> Speaking of segments that uh, are fucking shit. Here's <laughs> this one's called Bad Psychologist. What I'm going to do is I'm going to show Jim some Rorschach tests, and no matter what he says, I'm going to shit talk him, and I'm going to tell him that he's wrong. Um, because that's kind of <laughs> what we do on this podcast from time to time is we have subjective experiences, and then we tell each other, "No,
2: this <laughs> summer is actually okay."
0: Yeah, exactly. Um, so here we go, Bad Psychologist. Jim, what do you see in this ink plot? Wow, I see a f- I see a couple of frogs. And what do you actually? I mean. I understand. I understand that. Like, I
3: understand
2: I don't
0: know why. I just. Mm. I don't think this bit's going to work unless you tell me honestly what you see in it. Frogs.
2: Okay. okay no. I. Now. Yeah. I, you don't see any frogs, I, do you? I why couple, did you say
0: frogs? That's fucking dumb. What do you see? I, uh, a couple of witches looking at each other, looking at each other. They're facing. Yeah, right, what right, are you right talking? Right They're facing the away. These the, two. W-
2: Okay, if, now, if now the top there, all, yeah.
0: Okay, yeah. Oh, my God. Let's I just move the, on to the next one. You can't fucking... All right, what, is, what do you see?
2: Ooh. A bat. A giant bat. A crazy a deformed... bat? Yeah. Crazy deformed...
3: At this point, got, is it a got, bat it's got, then? It's, it's got a little claws out there.
2: Yeah. I don't...
0: That's 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 stupid. What do you see?
2: Definitely a bat. A big old bat. Well,
0: if you're not going to take this seriously, we'll just... Or maybe the
2: cover of the crow soundtrack. What is this? Oh... I don't know what I see now. <laughs>
0: wow. Okay. First thing okay, comes okay. to mind. Rapid um, fire.
2: Um couple
0: of squirrels. No, I I a couple I, of squirrels I right I, there. I know I, I know I said first thing that comes to mind, but two like, squirrels looking right at each other. It has to be the first animated thing that makes squirrels. fucking sense. That's not fu- animated. It's a still ink. Wow, block. What the true. fuck are you talking about? It's not fucking ugh, I know. I God. see a couple of squirrels hanging out. You're the worst patient I've ever had. What is this?
2: Ooh. A bunch of insects,
0: especially I at the bottom. They're like why is it a bunch? I don't there's know. I two, see, I, there are. It, it's an ink okay, okay, it's symmetrical. They're, they're there's only two I things. Guess, but. A bunch. Like at this uh, point, you're literally not even describing what is on the. What is? What is this one?
2: I mean, just look at the the, the way that the uh, legs are. Uh, in the, all right. Uh, next. Oh, this is crazy. Oh my god. Mm. Why can't I think it in the top of my head like this, monsters? Long um, I don't know. I can't. I can't come up with anything for this one. I'm bad. my My brain just went completely blank as I'm. Like, what do you see? What the hell do you see? It literally, <laughs>
0: you could say anything, but you couldn't my dental say record. Anything. You, there's no way you can do a Rorschach test worse than saying nothing. That's true. And you did the worst fucking thing. So what is this?
2: Oh, that's a little, little lemur thing, isn't it? Right? Lemur? What, what
0: the, the fuck are you talking about? What What is that supposed to be? What, what is a lemur? I
2: don't know. I thought it was that, a lemur. I mean, I know what
0: a lemur is, but like that's, a lemur is like a primate. Like okay, a so a prairie like dog? A, a uh, prairie dog? Jesus Christ. Prairie dog companion? I, I, I mercifully moved us off Rorschach test and it's a picture of an animal. It's a, what is it? It's a stoat. Oh, God. A stoat? You know stoat? what? Let's, let's end this whole segment. Sounds like a beer. This is trash. Let's dump it. Number 36. This next segment is called Fuck This Underrated Secret Masterpiece of Shit. And what we're going to do <laughs> is we're going to go through a list of divisive films. I have the list right here. And Jim, again, rapid fire. This I just sucks. Wanna, <laughs> I, I'm going to name a movie. The one thing I can't do. I'm going to name a divisive film and... In order to get the actual heart of how you feel, I just want you to say, sum up your feelings in a, in a sentence or two, if necessary, of how you feel about this movie. I'm pretty sure you've seen all of these. Um, I don't think it'll be too hard. Okay. Um, there are no, this one, there is actually no wrong answers, because this isn't Bad Psychologist. I'm not going to berate you. I'm not even going to comment. I'm just going to say oh. the names of the movies. Okay, So here we go. Star Wars The Last Jedi. Um, I liked it. I enjoy Ryan Johnson's
2: sensibilities in general. I thought he brought a, a weird, subversive nature uh, to to the franchise. Got a little dark. Got a little weird. And uh, in general, I just think he's a good director, and I like what he did with that. I, I just like the middle sections of the Star Wars franchises. Apparently, because Empire and Last Jedi are my favorites.
0: Natural born killers. Ooh,
2: that one doesn't quite hold up the way I thought it did. <laughs> That's for sure. Uh, there are things about that movie that really annoy the hell out of me, including uh, Oliver Stone's penchant to just slam every thought uh, that he has into your face at all times.
0: The Counselor.
2: I love it. I think I'm everything I've, do- I've read of Cormac McCarthy's I've just clicked with, he's a dark dude, very nihilistic, and that movie just sort of captures a lot of crazy dark feelings that I didn't know I had. Mother! <laughs> I really like it. I think it builds really effectively. The crazier things get, the more I'm into it. And uh, I think Jennifer Lawrence is pretty spectacular.
0: Spring Breakers.
2: Mm, I've always been in the middle on that one. I don't know. And I can't really get behind James Franco in general anymore. I wouldn't be excited to rewatch it. I think it has good elements. But in general, I've never been a Harmony Korean guy. Miami Vice. I... (laughs) Well, that one, I really wish I liked more because, again, Michael Mann's a director that I run very hot and cold with, and that one I just happen to not click with whatsoever.
0: Neon Demon. Ooh, Nicholas Winding Ref and What Happened. Blade Runner 2049. I love it. Melancholia. (laughs) Still love it,
2: and it says a lot about depression that I kind of understand. Somewhere. I think it's pretty good. I don't think it's one of Sofia Coppola's best movies, but I still appreciate what she was trying to do with it, including after the Chantal Ackerman episode, realizing that I think that's kind of what she was trying to capture.
0: The Wolf of Wall Street.
2: Uh, I still love that one. I know it's just basically a wacky, crazy comedy, and it's enjoyable from beginning to end for me. Cosmopolis. Yeah. Cronenberg, again, th- sometimes he c- clicks with me and sometimes he doesn't. I really love the final act, though, with Paul Giamatti.
0: Pain and Gain
2: Nah I don't remember it <laughs> I know I saw it But I wasn't crazy about it either way the I didn't hit, hate it The Hateful Eight I love that one too Easy Rider Yeah I like it I don't I think I, I, I'm i sure it was I know why it's culturally significant But at the same time I don't think it's a masterpiece And I don't enjoy watching it Totally Interstellar I love that movie so much It makes me cry like a baby
0: Southland Tales I love that movie so much It makes me happy <laughs> Persona.
2: Mm, I should watch that again. Chunking Express. Love it. It's it's next to In the Mood for Love, my second favorite. Roma. Yeah, it's good. It's very good.
0: Showgirls.
2: Mm, Indifferent.
0: Freddy Got Fingered. Oh, well, I think parts of it are pretty funny. Not the whole thing. Pink Flamingos. You know I never saw it? Ghostbusters Reboot. Eh. Alien 3. Eh. Halloween 3.
2: <laughs> it's good. I don't love it. I think it's good.
0: The Cable Guy.
2: Yeah, it's still pretty funny. I like it.
0: Antichrist.
2: God. Oh, that movie's so unpleasant. I can't get through it.
0: Killer Joe.
2: Ah, it's fine. I don't know. Parts of it are fine, parts of it are funny. I like Tracy Letts as a playwright, but I don't know. It's also very gross.
0: House of the Devil. I still like that one. Three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri.
2: Wow. I should watch that again to make sure I still love it the way I did the first time I saw it. We had a good conversation about it.
0: Crimson Peak.
2: Never saw it. I should see it. Joker. Oh, God! Piece of shit! Hate that movie.
0: Funny Games. (laughs) Which one? Either. I like it. David Cronenberg's Crash.
2: Oh, God. I've See, the funny thing is, is I just bought the 4K, even though I don't like that movie. And because I want to. I should. I should really get into that movie because I love the book.
0: Straw Dogs.
2: Yeah, it's pretty good, but it's not pleasant to watch.
0: Suspiria Remake.
2: I like it. I don't love it, but I definitely like it. The Exorcist. Oh, it's great. Signs. Oh, no. I never liked it. I made a complete ass out of myself by groaning out loud in the movie theater when that played and everybody was into it. So they were mad at
0: me. I, I'm trying not to interject. As a aside, I did the exact same thing during The Happening, <laughs> which I find is way less defensible getting mad at me for groaning during The Happening. I agree. And then finally, Passion of the Christ. Remember, oh whatever you God. say determines whether or not you're an anti-Semite. <laughs>
2: You know, at the time I, when I watched it, I was very moved by it, but I was also with somebody who was very moved by it, so I feel like I absorbed that energy, but I don't know if I'm ever going to watch that one again.
0: Fair enough. All right, that was... Q wacky sitcom music number. or something there. Number
1: three.
0: This next segment is called Demonology Bracketology 2, The Final Sacrifice. We got another bracket. This time, instead of horror icons, it's... Great horror directors. I think this one will be really tough. This one's going to be really tough, except for this first matchup, which is going to be really easy. John Carpenter versus Rob Zombie. Sorry, you were oh. drinking. <laughs> I didn't mean you to do a spit take on the fucking computer. I think it's just the, well, I mean, I, mean, I hear Rob, let's, Rob let's Zombie's just, name and I freak just think, out. Honestly, which one did have the better Halloween? You know, let's <laughs> let's try to wait it out, really. Okay, you so okay? I'm, going go ahead you a, okay? I'm going to go ahead and put a, <laughs> a J.C. Uh, sorry, Rob Zombie, to do you like that, but that's how the uh, seating worked out. Next is Wes Craven versus James Whale. Oh, okay. James Whale, of course, not just directed Frankenstein, but Bride of Frankenstein, The Invisible Man, and The Old Dark House, all of which are oh. excellent sardonic black uh, humor uh, horror comedies. Absolutely fun. Um, Did he have a my soul to take in his filmography, he I wonder? You know... <laughs> I've never seen Showboat. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if a condor makes an appearance in Showboat. (laughs) On the other hand, did he have a Hills Have Eyes? Did he have have three separate career resurgences? Mm -hmm. I think it's probably the opposite. I think James Whale wanted to break out of horror and then... uh, Can I go with my heart and say Wes Craven? Yeah, I think I gotta go with Wes Craven too. I like James Whale a lot, but Wes Craven is the guy. Now this one... I think we might uh, we might draw out the knives. Toby Hooper versus Sam Raimi. Now, to be fair, you had to
2: do this, didn't you?
0: So here's the thing: Sam Raimi. We are determining greatest horror filmmaker, so we should not. We're not looking at Toby Hooper's output versus all of Sam Raimi's films. We are, you know, simple plan doesn't factor into the math here. So we're talking about. All the Evil Dead movies. I guess the Evil Dead pilot of that Star show. We're talking about uh, Drag Me to Hell. Um, we're talking about the surgery scene in Spider Man 2, but only that scene. <laughs>
2: um, I like that movie.
0: Right. I'm, no, no, I'm just saying that's the only part of that movie that's horror. That's true. Versus Toby Hooper, the greatest, the greatest the horror, horror film of all made. time. Uh, he also did spontaneous combustion. So wow, that was bad. They're not all gonna. They're not all gonna knock it out of the park. But I. That's tough. Evil Dead One and Two are hard to beat, but guess what beats Evil Dead One and Two? The Texas fucking chainsaw massacre.
2: Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. I find, to- and you like eating Alive? I and- love
0: eating Alive and the Fun House. The fun House I hold very dear to my heart, even though I think it's deeply flawed. I yeah. uh, I recently got the uh, I, I recently got the Arrow Blu-ray for Life Force, and I'm excited to check that one out again because I haven't seen that in forever. Uh, See, that's
2: a weird period because. I mean, I like Invaders from Mars. Yeah, it's not horror, but it's 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 parts adjacent. of it. Yeah, yeah. I said, but like his like Life Force is just this weird movie, and even the Texas Chainsaw Two is kind of weird. Mm-hmm. But I think I would go with Toby Hooper, and that's hard to say. Yeah, but but like Texas but, Chainsaw yeah. is monumental. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, it's Texas, just like and Texas Chainsaw Two also. I know you. I don't mean, like I know that. Evil Dead Two changed my life, kinda right. <laughs>
0: But it's also a horror comedy, right? I guess Dark Man might kind of factor. I, I have not seen Dark yeah. Man since I saw it on cable as the age of fourteen. So
2: it's more of an action. It's kind of an action. Sure, movie. it's like a comic book action yeah.
0: superhero sort of a thing. I, I'm going with to- Toby. Yeah, Toby's mine. I just wanted to make sure you got a fair shake. I got his book that you said is great. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Midnight <laughs> Movie, one of the greatest uh, novel or epistolary uh, novels ever written. Ugh. Um, next is Lucio Fulci versus Stuart Gordon.
2: I think before doing the Fulci episode, I would have said Stuart Gordon. Sure. But now I've seen the Beyond a lot. <laughs> well, a few times. I gotta go with Fulci on this one.
0: Okay. You're not just saying that for <laughs> my sake?
2: No, I actually genuinely believe it. I'm glad we did that
0: episode. Yeah. Um, so Lucio Fulci moves on. Next we have Dario Argento versus Jacques Tenere. Um Jacques mm. Teneur, of course, did Cat People. He did Night of the Demon. I like Tener. Really? Yeah. You know, I did, we
2: didn't. I did an episode on him. I thought he was fucking great.
0: Tenor was cat, cat a last-minute replacement for James Wan because I was looking at James Wan being like, "I don't need this guy on my list." Well, let me let me also look and make sure. I but. like the Twilight Zone that Jacques Tenor did about the woman who gets the calls from when the phone line lands on the Ooh. grave. I, I included the details of that one in my short film I wrote. Oh yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Out of the past, I know it's not horror. But. Right, out of the past. Don't <laughs> I just count. get so
2: excited when I think of that one?
0: Okay, I walked with a zombie and Leopard Man. Those were the one. I wasn't sure on Leopard Man. I thought maybe, um, but I, I walked with a zombie so much. Uh, cat people, I love so much. But then much. again, how many horror movies has he done? He's done four, um, plus that Twilight Zone, oh. I think, and then he's done some noir. Um and then he had a career doing westerns that are uh, apparently those westerns are real good. Um, but I I mean I'm not the great I'm not the biggest Argento fan. No, but me neither. Do
2: I like Suspiria more than cat people? That's the like, question.
0: Do I like opera more than cat people? The answer is yeah. no. Um, he also, uh, Tourner is one of those directors who sort of ended up on Poverty Row towards the end of his career, so he did a lot of, like, sci-fi, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. movies that are maybe horror Jason or whatever, but I think the ones we're really talking about are Cat People, I Walked with the Zombie, the Leopard Man, and Night of the Demon. I don't think I've seen Leopard I think, Man, I think, think we have to demons. go left where everyone else would go right. I think we have to give it to Turner. T-
2: yeah, I, I kind of felt strongly about
0: it. Next, we have David Cronenberg versus Guillermo del Toro. Cronenberg. Yeah, yeah. I, are you a, are you a del Toro person? I feel like I'm the outlier, and I'm not a and fan miss, of his. Hit and miss. Yeah. I loved, uh, the first D- Del Toro movie I ever saw was Chronos, and I just was I just got it randomly from the library, and it was like, oh, this is the shit. And then every yeah. subsequent one, I'm like, I see what there is to love. I can't, I can't do it. Yeah, I can't do Shape of Water. I can't try. I can't get into it. Pan's Labyrinth, there's interesting things going on there, but it's just like very, it's pretty good. I don't know. Next is uh, we we went ahead and got going with uh, David Cronenberg on that oh, one. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. George Romero versus FW Murnau. Oh. Wow. Uh, let me double check all the Murnau films. I Obviously think I have we're to do talking the same thing. We're talking about uh Nosferatu and I think uh, Oh, I think Excuse I me. may have fucked up. I think there were more silent films that I thought were Murnau that were actually really you can only justify Faust and Nosferatu and I haven't seen Faust. Taboo is a good movie, for sure. Last Laugh is a great film. Sunrise: The Song of Two Humans is one of those I've never finished, but is beloved. I guess he did a, a film called The Haunted Castle that I've never heard of. But um, I'm sorry, I haven't seen a lot of these. I saw no, Nosferatu yeah. and The Haunted Castle. Also, oh. G- G- also, let's be real: George Romero is George Romero. Like Night of the Living Dead, Dawn of the Dead. Am I going to see? Am I going to sit down? Am I going to watch Martin or am I going to watch Nosferatu? Oh, wow. Nosferatu fucking rules! But I'm going to watch Martin. When
2: is Martin's Blu-ray coming out?
0: Uh-huh. <laughs> Next, we have another sacrificial lamb here: Mario Bava versus Eli Roth. I, I really fucking did the new generation of horror filmmakers dirty on this. If this was a if this was a bracket of thirty two people instead of sixteen, I would have gotten Karen Kusama on there. I would have gotten. I think you like Roth more than I do. I love Roth more than you do, but like fucking Mario Bava, yeah. It's Mario, Mario Bava. Next, we have really the hardest John John Carpenter versus Wes Craven. I can't do this. Fucking impossible. I can't do this. Who is the better, pure filmmaker? John Carpenter. Who made more horror films that I hold dear and I beloved? And I'm saying this as someone who recently rewatched Christine and sort of realized like, oh shit, Christine's way better than I ever gave it credit for. Yeah, every Um, time I watch it, I feel that way. The Fog is a movie that is deeply flawed, but like the first 20 minutes of that movie, every time I turn it on, I go, yeah, fucking The Fog. And I get all pumped. (laughs) <laughs> um, the music in the fog is incredible. Wes Craven uh, can't do his own music. John Carpenter literally defined mm-hmm. what horror sounded like.
2: Mm-hmm. And I certainly love "In the Mouth of Madness" more than most
0: people. And "Prince of Darkness" is great. I do not love "In the Mouth of Madness" at all, really. But ah! "Prince of Darkness" is fucking badass. But Wes Craven, I, how do I, how do I turn against the guy who made Scream? and Hills have eyes and Nightmare on Elm Street. Like those are such I also they're wildly diverging points and I
2: we are sort of in the minority on Last
0: House on the Left and that's a significant work. I th- I think that I, that could have been on the divisive film list. I think that is I think that we're not necessarily in the minority, we're just on one side of it, which yeah. is we hate Last House on the Left. Um and I don't think there's any John Carpenter movie that I hate in that way. Um Ooh. Which is to say that I never bothered to watch Village of the Damned and that like vampires I don't hate in that yeah. way. Actually, uh, you know what? I think maybe I hate vampires more than the Last House on the Left, when I really When uh, last I watched Last House on the Left fairly recently and I was like, okay, I see what he was going for. I don't think it actually works, but like I was able to actually appreciate it a little more.
2: I know people who like Ghost of Mars and I don't at all there's
0: some, there's, <laughs> there's some interesting things going on with Ghost of Mars, but John Carpenter uh, as a director has no energy. No, and, passed in the mouth and of Escape Madness. from
2: LA is kind of bad, but oh mm-hmm. wait, that's not horror. Yeah,
0: no. Though John Carpenter's one of those guys. His non-horror movies, you can kind of like like mm-hmm. all the all the sha- all the him. shadowy goons in Escape mm-hmm. from New York, and you know the the sort of apocalyptic tone of Assault on Precinct Thirteen. There's um, and of course there's the uh, flesh eating scene in Elvis. Like there's just so much horror oh. in John Carpenter's non-horror movies. All right, I have I've picked in my head. And rather than influence you anymore, I just need you to pick John Carpenter, Wes Craven. We have <gasps> to, we have to do rock paper scissors on this. All right, one two three shoot is what we're gonna yeah. do. One two three shoot. All right, scissors cuts paper, I lose. John Carpenter moves forward. Sorry, JWC. Uh, I do feel like Wes Craven had more stinkers. Oh, without a doubt, John Carpenter, the better filmmaker, the more consistent filmmaker. And, but I mean, I, I
2: also can't discount, you know, Nightmare on Elm Street. But the thing that
0: Wes Craven was after, which he failed to capture, but the thing that he was after in a movie that I think mostly doesn't work like Serpent of the Rainbow, when he hit it, it is the thing I'm more into than the thing John Carpenter was after. John Carpenter was sort of more into formal excellence and economy Mm -hmm. and sort of old school classicism. yeah, this Yeah. this guy. Whereas Wes Craven was, maybe was a little more ambitious and if that means that he <laughs> – I I was going to say a Deadly Friend, but Deadly Friend is not a movie that fails because it's too ambitious. Deadly Friend is a movie that is just – But it's man, the thing.
2: the thing, that's probably my second favorite horror movie.
0: You know what? Uh, the Thing is one of those movies that over the years I realized I don't love as much as I thought it did. It's still, it's like still an impeccably amazing movie with the greatest special effects in any horror movie that has ever existed. Don't get me wrong. I think when I was preparing to do the, the commentary track that we did on it, I realized – that it isn't actually full of paranoid dread. Like when I watch it, that's not at all what's going on. I am in suspense of when the next cool special effect is going to happen. Wow. And so the thing is, not for me, the five star greatest horror film of all time movie is for most people. It's a, instead a four star, absolutely phenomenal horror movie. But JC advances nonetheless. Next, we have TH versus LF, Toby Hooper versus Lucio Fulci. Impossible for me. Fucking impossible. I do not have a Texas wow. Chainsaw Massacre tattoo yet. I do have a Beyond tattoo, um, which is rightfully be a, so. It's going to be a bullshit uh, bullshit
2: argument. If I were to revise my top ten horror movies, I think the Beyond would be on mm-hmm. it.
0: But you know, for me, when I, I uh, when I think about the question of what is the scariest horror film of all time, the answer is the Texas Chainsaw Massacre.
2: I'm um, more inclined to go with Toby, and that's hard because Folge was a revelation for me, and the I, more I watch. Oh,
0: (laughs) The thing about Okay, so they're both people who I think maybe were Up to stuff that a lot of people don't catch on Um, And they're both people I love Who made, you know, The Beyond Is my top five Horror movie of all time Takes Chainsaw Massacre's top five horror movie of all time I know,
2: this is too hard, but I was thinking in my head If Indicator or one of those Fancy Blu-ray companies were to put out a box set Which would I be more excited
0: about? That one I'm tainted on because I own like six Lucio Fulci movies on Blu-ray. Yeah. But I also would say Toby Hooper. I think Toby Hooper. Next is Jacques Turner versus David Cronenberg. Cronenberg for me. David Cronenberg. (laughs) David Cronenberg (sighs) He freaks me out, dude. Jacques Turner is in my heart. David Cronenberg is heartless. I don't I feel I feel nothing when I watch a David Cronenberg movie. i f I'm such distant. Um, now you love Crash though. I do love Crash. I don't know if it's horror. Is it horror? <laughs> when, when you're talking about Cronenberg, you, you're kind of talking about all of his movies exist in a continuum. Where it's like even something like Spider, you're like that's kind of like it's kind of like a horror movie. Yeah, it is. I mean, maybe once you get to uh, uh, Dangerous Method, you're like, okay, that's not a horror. But like when you get to like the gaping head wound in A History of Violence or whatever, there is something like. kind kind of a fire walk with me twin peaks level uh mm-hmm. horror thing going on there
2: i still like that movie a lot
0: history of violence yeah I, that's one i'm afraid to go back to because that was one i thought was like super brilliant and deep in a way that here we go we got it we got a we got gotta Shit. shoot on it because i'm going with turn error. here we go one two three all I, right. I decided Rock to defeat tr- scissors. See if I can do it twice in a row. Yeah, you are fucking you're 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 meta yourself right out that's of okay, That's okay. That's okay. That's okay. representation. We got JT moving on. Next we have George Romero versus Mario Bava. How the fuck do you judge this? I
2: don't know.
0: Black Sunday. Night of the Living Dead. Uh-huh. Dawn of the Dead. Black Sabbath.
2: Oh yeah in the uh, blood blood and black lace I kill like
0: baby that. kill yeah kill babies need the most love <laughs> versus
2: <laughs> martin oh whoa yeah ooh, and
0: he did the uh the immortal kaltiki <laughs> the
2: what's immortal the name kaltiki. of the first considered the first slasher movie that he did
0: probably. uh bay of blood yeah i mean bay of blood it, it slashers are a continuum mm. that was also an episode of genre grinder i did proto slashers um Spiral Staircase came out well before Psycho oh, or Bay of oh, Blood. No. Okay, um, okay. Who is the greatest cinematographer of all time? Mario Bava. Who is the who is the man who represents the independent spirit of cinema uh better than anyone? George, George Romero. Who is the person that you want to hug and be your father? George, George Romero. Who is the person who every fucking movie he makes you can at least say it looks spectacular, Mario, Mario Bava. Bava. <laughs> okay, <laughs> stop doing that shit. That was dreadful. All right, I voted. Right. I voted in my head. Say it out loud. One, two, three. George, George Romero. Romero. Okay, we'll move George Romero on with the acknowledgement that we might be wrong G-N-R. there. Speaking of wrong, Toby Hooper versus J.C. For some reason, Toby Hooper versus oh, JC easier than Lucio Fulci versus JC ah, for me. Ah, Whereas, <laughs> if it was Lucio Fulci versus JC, I think I'd have to
2: go with JC because he's made some of my favorite movies. Right. Period.
0: Right. But Toby Hooper made Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Look, I'm putting and Halloween right up there with Texas Chainsaw Massacre. They're they're yeah. very different films, but that's true. I think I would go with J.C. Yeah,
2: sorry, Toby. That's fine.
0: So we got George Romero versus Jacques Turner. No question. So <laughs> sorry, <laughs> I'm not even asking your opinion. No, here. you don't need to. Um, next, we have George Romero in the finals versus John Carpenter. Heart versus head. Mm. Um, endless wow. idea- endless ideas versus endless talent. Um, I
2: think Romero invented a whole genre. Mm-hmm. And also infused pretty much all his work with imaginative, mm-hmm. social commentary. Thoughtful. That, yeah. Uh, that isn't preachy in the way that Oliver Stone would
0: do. <laughs> all right. <laughs> I know we're talking about their only their horror work, but John Carpenter does not have a Knight Riders. And I'm not saying that to mean...
2: Uh, yeah.
0: I'm not saying Knight Riders is like some great film. I'm saying John Carpenter doesn't have... The heart to make a Knight Riders, he made Elvis. Like is that is that it? Is is Big Trouble in Little China? Memoirs of Invisible Man is not a passion project for John Carpenter. I don't know. I don't know who wanted that movie to exist. I don't think anyone involved. uh,
2: It's weird. I mean, I think we differ a little bit in the latter Romero Dead movies. In what way? Because I, I like Land of the Dead, and I think I like Diary of the Dead. I think I do. Huh. I, <laughs> it's been I a did, long I mean, time since I've seen it. I know I there's not, MySpace not, references now in that or whatever.
0: But well, that there, it, it wouldn't be a George Romero movie if it wasn't dated. He's talking about the times. Yeah. Um, I, I, yeah, Land of the Dead is like a kind of a comic booky thing. Yeah, I like it. I, I think I like Day of the Dead more than Dawn of the Dead, which is. That's interesting. It is very weird of me, but I think that's, that's where interesting. I am. Came out the same year as Return of the Living Dead. Is it too late to put Lucio <laughs> Oh, silly goose. Oh, let's not hope brackets work. All right, let's just uh, say it at the count of three. One, two, three. John, John Carpenter. Carpenter. All right, fine. John Carpenter. I
2: know it's a cliche answer, but yeah. it's probably because it's that way for a reason. It's Halloween, and I don't know. That's a movie that also changed my life, I'd mm-hmm. say.
0: I feel like if I tried to talk to George Romero about Assassin's Creed, he would be like, I don't, I don't, I have no interest in what you're saying to me. And Jordan Carpenter would be like, fucking yeah, I tried to find all of the fucking uh, treasure chests. This next segment is called a Selection from the Master. In this segment, me and Jim have gone onto each other's letterbox, and we have found a lengthy review that we will now perform as if it was a Shakespearean monologue. I'd like to perform a selection (laughs) from the master. Mm. This is entitled The Phantom Thread. Oh, God. My list of favorite movies is changing and evolving since the last time (laughs) I revised mine about six years ago. I'm not sure if it matters in the end, it's just another record of preferences that will likely get lost in a sea of other lists, but there's something about revisiting favorites right now when things are at their worst slash bleakest, at least for me. I'm trying to remain positive. By the way, I know none of the zyamic pentameter. I can't fucking perform in like Shakespeare. I no. I know. I'm trying to remain positive, but it is not working this time. So I decided to take a chance and go to my favorite movie theater to see the last film made from my favorite filmmaker. I knew for two hours I wouldn't be worried about anything since there were only six people there, all socially <laughs> distanced, wearing masks. There was a feeling of relief hearing the score in an auditorium or seeing the impeccable lighting on a big screen. Most cinephiles know that this is how movies were meant to be seen. I kept thinking... (laughs) Robin Leach... I hear Alan coming, too. (laughs) A little Alan coming. I kept thinking about that glorious moment in the kitchen-slash-dinner-table. Why does Reynolds suddenly decide to willingly poison himself? How has he figured out what Alma is doing to him? Could it be that maybe he wants the near-death experience and sickness to happen again because that way he can possibly be visited by his mother? Or in that moment, is he aware of his own toxic masculinity and that Homer has the toxic cure? I even thought of Fearless with Jeff Bridges and that maybe Reynolds is happy to be with someone who can bring him back to death and back to life again, so to speak sort of speak. That's Mm -hmm. what it's written there. There has to be a kind of high that comes with that. To be satiated, the desire via mushroom somehow pleases him, or possibly also scaring him. After all, the second time he does ask for a doctor just to be safe, how often will Alma keep feeding him this toxic cure? I think she envisions it as a never-ending as never-ending, I misspoke there, as never-ending, which includes her little snippet of a dream in the future, the way to the man's heart might actually be through his stomach. He is, after all, a very hungry boy. <laughs> and his awareness of this, and Alma's role in the final line spoken before the closing credits. The very final scene ends with a shrug from Alma, maybe to indicate that this agreement between them may or may not work. Who knows? Not long ago, I was talking with a friend who believed in the idea of a healthy codependency, which didn't seem to fit with me. I've always associated codependency as being unhealthy for both parties. I wonder if this film doesn't make an argument for healthy codependency in the end. Part of me wants to see how this couple continues, slash thrives, slash collapses, but Anderson decides to let us think on that with the very final image of a shrug, and this is much longer than I realized. so I will skip the final two
2: paragraphs, Jim, thank you! Oh my god.
0: That was the Phantom Thread by the master Jim Laskowski.
2: Wow. I don't know how I feel about my writing now.
0: Um... That's the idea. This is... I can't wait to be (laughs) humiliated.
2: All right. Um... Everybody, I want you to come close to me now, and I'm going to spin you a tale of the man who wasn't there (laughs) i was very happy with patrick's recent analysis so i figured i would impart that to you i shall begin now (laughs) nothing terrifies me like the non-existence that waits at the end of all of this but at the same time i wish to disappear to vanish from people's lives, to take the question of what to do about human relationships completely off the table. As a teenager, I couldn't vibe with this film's pace or find much meaning in its near motionless character, but of course, he isn't blank because there's no human there. He's blank because he's terrified. Once you have asserted your will on the world, you must deal with what happens next. This is a very esoteric framing of tropes, extremely common to both film noir, the genre movement of existential despair, and the Coen brothers' work, the filmmaker, <laughs> the filmography of bad choices spiraling out of control into apocalypse. There's nothing truly radical at the center of this, James M. Cane homage No meaning that is particularly (laughs) hidden I don't think you can call it Smuggling When four or five characters Ask our protagonist point blank What kind of man Are you What is most interesting about most Cohen films and extremely interesting here Is how they balance Extremely mannered Self conscious and referential Love letters To classic Hollywood, with their own human observations and poisoned worldview. The tension between reality and moviness is different from Cohen flick to Cohen (laughs) flick. But the interest in that is a constant. This film maybe has the greatest frisson between the two. (laughs) I hate this. (laughs) (laughs) Marrying its wild, computer-enhanced film noir surrealism. This came after Old Brother and, I have to imagine, many of the digital techniques used to color the film that were repurposed here to dynamically alter the contrast between different elements in the frame. With the stillness and place you associate with more naturalistic entries like Fargo or No Country for Old Men. Cartoonish performances by Tony Shalhoub and Michael Badalucco are balanced out by Thornton, (laughs) <laughs> Richard Jenkins. <laughs> it says Thornton. <laughs> I think it's a so. typo.
0: Yeah. Oh, okay. I
2: was like, I was like, why'd you become a fucking alien from the film? <laughs> Thornton. Thornton. Uh, Richard Jenkins. His scene on the porch is just brutal. And Scarlett Johansson. <laughs> her work here is great. I didn't realize how horny I was <laughs> for, for a lot, lot of the same reasons. She was so good in Ghost World. To return to an era when that rasp was disarming and off kilter instead of generally sultry. Also, an era where you didn't have to feel bad for liking her because she hadn't yet decided to become the Anthony Quinn of the new millennium. And that, my friends,
0: oh, God, is. The Man Who Wasn't There by Patrick Ruppel. <laughs> James M. Kane, the one fucking noir book <laughs> I ever read. So I'm like, yeah, it's probably that one. Number thirty-nine. This next segment is one I think we've probably done 100 million times, but let's Why be honest, 43 segments is a lot to come up with, so cut me some slack. This is just the best theatrical experience. Jim, for you, what do you think Like the best theatrical experience you've ever had was?
2: It was a communal experience because a bunch of friends of mine, uh, friends of mine and I decided to venture out to a movie we knew nothing about. Other than my dad had seen it the night before and was like, you have to see Seven. You have to see it. and I, He didn't really outright say if he liked it or not, but it's just like, it, it's for you. <laughs> go see it. It's going to mess you up. And I was like, all right. So like three or four of my friends, we all got together and said, all right, let's go see this movie called Seven, whatever that's all about. I have no clue. I don't I Okay. That's the sloth scene. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can picture it in my yeah, head yeah, of the yeah, whole yeah, yeah, audience yeah. jumping up yeah, in yeah, unison. Yeah, 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 yeah. And that image will never leave my head. And it was kind of like the first moment too, of realizing how communal it is. I mean, I've seen plenty of movies before that, and obviously we're all on the same page, but I think it was just like, "Oh, movies can be a depressing roller coaster." It was like a, <laughs> was it like a packed theater? Yeah. It was completely packed, and you can just see people jump at one point. Yeah, it's
0: fine. And sort of scream and then laugh. It's so fucking wild to think about not seeing Seven coming, because to me, the first time I saw Seven, not only was that movie's reputation firmly um, well-known, but David Fincher's was. And so I saw that after I saw Fight Club and everything like that, but like, no one was like, oh, shit. The director of Alien 3 has a new movie out? Right. Nobody knew who he was. I had no idea what, what, what I was in
2: for. I had no idea how it was going to end. Uh-huh. And we walked out and went to that Pizza Hut buffet depressed. <laughs> depressed.
0: You were like, yo, remember Gluttony? <laughs> yeah, go. exactly. Yeah. I didn't eat that much pizza that night. I was kind of just bummed. <laughs> then you failed the Pizza Hut buffet. Let me tell you, I've done yeah. my time at the Pizza Hut buffet. Yeah, that that feeling of like an entire theater being on the exact same wavelength, it makes everything, you're not just reacting to what's on screen, you're reacting to everyone else reacting to. I remember when I saw Borat in theaters, it was not only did was every seat sold, there were people just like standing in the aisle. Like it was mm. the most packed theater. It was because it was, like, passed at, like, 110% or whatever I've ever been in. And it was, like, I there was not enough oxygen in my lungs to laugh because everyone was just losing our fucking minds. There's something about Mary was like that. Yeah. For me. That, like, it was just, like, we I cannot believe what I'm fucking seeing. This is out of control. Oh, my fucking God. What's going to happen next? And it's one of those things, like, once you return to it, you're like, oh, it's especially once it became, like, a thing that was referenced too much. You're like, <sighs> all right. All right, I that, mean I'll I, never I, happen again. I definitely but. had
2: a good experience watching that with a crowd. Yeah but when I watched it again I was like, eh, it's all right. Yeah. I like it, but I don't love it. I don't think I like Sasha Baron Cohen that much.
0: No, no, that's fair. I don't yeah. like him that much either. I mean I tried I can, you I can't take away time and place and we have to I have to say, like, that movie's fucking racist. <laughs> like Jurad sure. is a racist ass character. Yeah. Uh, that is absolutely a like fucking look how backwards the Muslim world is uh kind of a character and but like you know I was fucking eighteen or whatever, and didn't give a fuck and I just and it was there was just a there was just a certain tension uh sort of bush era fucking tension hmm. that 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 character was able to cut into in a way that that makes sense was like it was just we were used to we were used to satire, but we were used to like John Stewart, and what John Stewart does. Is he plays a clip of a senator saying one thing, and then he says a clip of a, pl- a senator saying the opposite thing in a different context, points out they're a hypocrite, and then he maybe ducks in a little voice or whatever. <laughs> and you're like, yes, this makes me feel superior to anyone who would vote for that person. And yeah, yeah, this yeah. is a simulation of being politically involved without actually doing anything. There's no such politeness or safety net or whatever when we saw Borat. <laughs> This next segment is called the Scoville Scale. The Scoville Scale is how spiciness is judged. Oh. And these are, are, are our spiciest <laughs> takes. So what we've done is we've gone through our own Letterboxd accounts, and we've looked at ratings we've given. Um, and for every possible rating on Letterboxd, which is half star, one, one and a half, two, two and a half, three, three and a half, four, four and a half, and five stars, we've picked out a movie where... Most people don't feel this way. I think I'm right about
2: this. Patrick, you gave the Lost Boys one star. I did. You really hate it that much.
0: I really, really don't like anything about that movie except for the uh art direction of that video store. <laughs> oh well, yeah. So anyway, that's not the way this segment works. Oh, I'm sorry. Did I mess We this up? look at we look at our own ratings. <gasps> oh, oh, okay. <laughs> then I messed up. So for me, I'm just, I'll just go through mine as you yeah. work through yours. For me, I gave half a star to Natural Born Killers. Lowest possible rating. That the was most, another I considered, yeah. Most hated possible movie. Just uh, the experience of watching it is excruciating. Whatever artistic merits it may or may not have, the act of watching it, I just found so horrific that I gave it half a star. One star, Secret Honor, the Robert Altman movie uh on the criterion collection beloved philip baker hall is a fantastic actor that is a boring ass movie maybe if i was like a nixon uh head and i knew all the, like the little details about his life and everything that would be more interesting and there'd be more little stuff i'd pick up on but it i just find that movie so fucking dull and i find like the uh, the comedic premise of like what if nixon was being vulgar it's like who fucking cares uh, my one and a half, I have to be the only fucking person on Earth who thinks naked fucking sucks ass. One and mm. a half stars to that. I, it's mm. it's excruciating to watch. I, one of the ongoing things with these movies I've found is movies that I should love because I love the filmmakers, like Robert Altman, like Mike Lee. The next one, I gave two stars to Dogtooth. I love Yorgos Lanthimos, but I think the thing that makes his stuff work for me is that it's in English, and so I can detect... The stiltedness of it. Like, to me, that is such a huge part of it is the performance and Dogtooth being in Greek. I didn't get that. And I also just found it just sort of sadistic and cruel without purpose. There's a couple really cool scenes in it, but mostly <laughs> that movie is boring and uh, unpleasant. My two and a half shape of water, I think, for mm. the, I, this is a line I wrote in my letterbox review, but like, For someone with so much imagination, Guillermo del Toro has so fucking little imagination. Like, the story is the most obvious thing in the world, and every evil character in a Guillermo del Toro movie has to be the most mustache-twirling, fucking, like, ruthlessly evil person who has ever existed, and it's just boring to watch. And now we get into three stars, and I consider— Really? Oh, boy, okay. I consider three stars to be pretty good, so this is a little harder, because you have to find a movie that most people would not find pretty good. Mm. Santa's Sleigh. Uh, Bill Goldberg, the wrestler, plays a killer Santa. I think that is a horror comedy. It's dumb as fuck. I think that movie's really funny. I think it's pretty good. Three and a half stars goes to Andy Milligan's The Ghastly Ones. I'm recently sort of discovering Andy Milligan, and I just really fucking vibe with him. Andy Milligan's another one of those filmmakers who is considered by some to be one of the worst filmmakers of all time, but his just thing works for me, and I think that movie is really fascinating and interesting, and most of his movies are short, so that helps. <laughs> Four stars this is where I'm starting to call movies great. McPherson tape. Found footage, VHS. I don't think I've seen that. I uh, think it mixed video up the Poughkeepsie
2: tips or something.
0: Uh, this is actually shot on VHS and it's about a family who lives out in the mountains and then an alien uh, UFO comes down and attacks them. Really evocative and crazy and interesting. A lot of bad acting. A lot of things that you would maybe consider, oh yeah, this is a poorly made film, but... The whole experience just works aesthetically. I did a shot on video mo- uh, episode of Genre Grinder where we talked about uh, McPherson tape and my love of it. My four and a half stars, very difficult for me to justify because I saw it in 2014, which is when I first started using Letterboxd. I remember almost nothing about it. No one thinks this movie is particularly good. The Canal, a Irish horror oh, movie. Oh, I like that one. Irish horror movie from... I, I haven't seen it in a while, right. but I liked it. I don't know why I gave it four and a half stars. <laughs> um, but I remember thinking it was actually very scary and dark and it kind of was disturbing in a way that I would uh, snuck up on me. And now five stars. I know I'm in the minority and thinking this is, if not David Lynch's best film, it's certainly equal hand in hand with his best work. Premonitions following an evil deed. Five stars. One of the scariest movies I've ever seen. One of the greatest silent films ever made. A short film he made with a Lumiere camera using a lot of in-camera tricks. Mm. Um, for a documentary about the Lumiere brothers, it would, in which a bunch of, in addition to telling the story of the Lumiere brothers, the uh, a bunch of, they got they sort of tapped a bunch of well-known filmmakers to make their own short, like thirty-second shorts with uh with an old, you know, nineteenth-century film camera. Absolutely yeah. fucking terrifying! It is everything about David Lynch's stuff that I think works, with none of the stuff that pisses me off. My spiciest take is premonitions following an evil deed is better than uh, Blue Velvet. I'm going to have to do
2: this segment later and yeah. record it to you because letterbox is down. But honestly, this really just became a process of me questioning my ratings. A lot of the time I was like, really? Oh, hmm, okay. I think that's why rewatches happen most of the time for me. Cause I, I go, I rated it. That, why did I like it that much? Did I not like, I'm it's just one of those things. Let's begin. Garden State. I gave one star. Um, I know people who defend it. I know people who like it. I know they're. The th- I used to like it, but I no longer do because I don't like Zach Braff, and as uh, Nally Portman's too quirky. I just don't buy anything that happens throughout this movie. <laughs> and if we leap up to one and a half stars, I notice that I kind of loathe Across the Universe. Another movie that has its defenders. I don't know if it's beloved, but aside from a couple songs, I mostly just find this film to be obnoxious and lame. Much like yesterday. So maybe films with Beatles songs, like I Am Sam, (laughs) just isn't good. So I don't know. Maybe just just don't mess with the Beatles. Don't put them in a movie. Don't put their music in a movie. Uh, Promising Young Woman, I gave two and a half stars. Mainly for Carrie Mulligan's performance. I feel like I'm in the minority, but there are people, again, who agree just because that final act is a big old question mark for me. Finally, as we get a little more positive, apparently I like Dark Skies more than most folks, including Gay Powers, because um, I kind of like the idea of a James Wan-esque take on the alien abduct- abduction genre, and I adore Carrie Russell. So, I don't know. Dark Skies, three stars, it's good, it's not great, not a waste of time. Also, is it okay for me to give a middling review to the rather average Scott Pilgrim vs. the World, a film that I think most people seem to love? Even when I, I I thought I was going to be enthused about it, I was glad I got to see it in the theater. But it might be my least favorite Edgar Wright film. Has its moments. Gotta love the vegan police. Same with La La Land. A, a three and a half might be a little high. Maybe a half star high than I expected. Um, I just think people love it mainly due to how it all ends. That final act is sublime. The most the most of the, the most of the movie is not. How about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which is another film that gets a 4 out of 5, which feels wrong, because good lord, people are saying it's their favorite Tarantino movie, it's the best film of the decade, why? I guess I still have issues with how things play out violently, I don't know, why it doesn't sit well with me, it should, it should be cathartic and incredible, but it just rubbed me the wrong way, and I'm trying to work through that, I'm sorry people. Wow, the Solaris remake got four and a half stars from me? I guess that's the only reaction I have right now. Because I don't know if I like it that much, do I? I mean, it's good. Okay, here's the big one, I think, at five stars. And we all know, because Patrick and I did a whole episode on this, but Joe vs. Volcano, I love everything about it. Come at me. I don't know why I consider it to be a full-blown five-star masterpiece. Maybe Collins. Um, you know, enthusiasm for it got to me. But overall, every time I watch it, I feel glad to be alive. And that movie, it's not Tree of Life or anything, but it just makes me feel joy in ways that I can't describe. It's a hard movie to, like, sum up sometimes for me when I watch it. I'm like, I don't know why. Maybe... Th- Maybe I've been brainwashed by the whole movie. Anyway, Joe vs. Volcano, five stars. And don't let anyone tell you otherwise. Shutter Island is a masterpiece. Up there with Scorsese's best. Five stars. I'm done. Thank you.
0: This next segment is the cheap beer taste test. Now, I uh, frequently buy six packs of cheap beer. And uh, I have ADHD. Uh, My brain craves novelty. So (laughs) I don't really stick to one brand. I have one that I consider my favorite, but with these sorts of things, when you think of what is your favorite, it's possible that you're really just responding to branding and you're not actually talking about the quality of the beer. So I have in front of me six numbered cups. Each has a different cheap beer in it. The beers are Pabst Blue Ribbon, Old Style, Hams, Miller High Life, Ice House, and Tecate. And... I am going to, Jim's not a drinker, so I'm going to taste these beers and I'm going to give them each a ranking. Do you have the little, uh, so I'm going to drink from cup number one and I'm going to give it a rating on a scale of one to 10. Okay. Here we go. Number one. Oh, that's terrible. That's (laughs) That's That's water. That's like, this basically has no flavor. It basically has no smell. Um, this is basically just a cup of cold water. That's a little malty. Okay, number one, I am giving two out of ten. That is, I mean, it is like if you are trying to binge drink 64 ounces of alcohol, that's probably your best bet because your tongue can't even detect it. But as something I sit and sip as I watch a movie, like, no, that's no good. All right, so this second one has a little more flavor to it. That's a little bit more of a scent. Again, all these are cheap beers. So the thing about cheap beers is they're just, it's just malty. I don't, it's not disgusting. There are some cheap beers that I taste and I go, that's gross. And then there, then there's cheap beers like number one where I go, oh, that has no flavor. Tastes this like is number one. This is fine. I would give this four and a half, 4.5. So this has, this has definitely the most flavor. It's kind of, it's kind of pleasant. There's kind of sweetness. Um, I feel dumb. Like, maybe it's like, oh, just every subsequent one I think is better than the next. But I actually like the taste of this one. Let me give that a seven. Okay. All right. Next is number four. Oh, this is no flavor at all. This is, this might have less flavor than uh, number one. Implicitly designed to be binge drink, and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I really have to drink a fuck ton of it at the same time just to get any flavor at all. This You'd is... Be
2: surprised! I actually put cat water in that cup.
0: Oh shit! Oh you asshole! Um, Through a curveball. I'm gonna give this 1.5. Gotta drink some water, cleanse it out. Right, here we go. Eh, it's a mild flavor. It's not unpleasant.
2: I
3: kind of
0: like it. Yeah, that's how I feel when I drink. I, I, I like, kind of like it. I like that I can taste it, and it's not an unpleasant flavor, but it is... Yeah, it's kind of good. I'll give that a six and a half.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Oh, I like this. Okay, number six is good. I guess... I don't, have I had that before?
2: I don't think I've had it.
0: Yeah, number six has a... Number six... You can definitely taste it. It has the has like one of the biggest flavors um what was the other one? what was the one i gave number seven which number oh three give? number three this is this has maybe a little more flavor than number three it's tasty
2: yeah maybe i'll give this an eight okay i so, honestly when i look at these i think they make sense
0: okay so because i'm i'm, I'm not, I'm not a a, i don't have a sophisticated palate or anything so i'm so um what was what was number one Ham's Ham's was number one And I gave it a what? Two God damn I thought Ham's was my favorite I drink Ham's all the time Really? Yeah Hmm. Crazy Um, What's
2: number two? My dad and my granddaddy's favorite Old Style Old Style
0: Alright, what did I give that? 4.5
2: Yeah, that sounds good
0: Yeah, I give it a five (laughs) Yeah I like Old Style a little less than PBR in my mind Um, What's number three? Miller Miller High Life What did I give that? Seven really i think it's everybody's favorite of
2: the cheap beers am i not mistaken huh.
0: i always thought pbr was the favorite of everybody mm,
2: that's my favorite <laughs> i think uh what's number four Ugh cat
0: and what did i give it <laughs> 1.5 yeah that that beer fucking sucks Takate, already knew Tecate. sucked and what's number five pbr and what did i give it
2: 6.5 i that's probably my favorite
0: Okay. Okay. And then
2: my favorite was the sixth one, right? Yeah. And what was that? Natural ice. You know really? Unnatural ice, really? making it easy.
0: damn. I guess what we learned is I have fucking shitty taste in beer. Natural ice, and I don't eight? think I've ever had natural ice. <sighs> okay, so there is a secret. There is a secret seventh drink. Uh oh. Please describe what I'm doing for the audience.
2: You're pouring distilled water into a funnel oh there's nothing in there now but the funnel is going into the gallon of distilled water and it looks like patrick is putting all of the beers all at the same time in this gallon jug here we go now you're gonna get that ahead
0: so i've mixed it all up that's right i guess i did fucking take a bunch of beer and then swirl it around Okay, wouldn't be the first time. So I've mixed all the beer Looks together. Like milk. It's it's just fucking foam at this point, but let's try it. You can't taste it. I, I to be fair, I did not give put in equal portions of everything. I wasn't really paying attention, but
2: that was also the inspiration for uh, initially MC Hammers. You can't taste this. Can't taste this.
0: Yeah. Double. And this next segment is called 24 Hours of Blood-Curdling Terror. Together, me and Jim are going to program a 24-hour horror film festival that's 11 feature films, And what we're going to do is we're going to go back and forth. We're working noon to noon. So this is like a noon Saturday to noon Sunday situation. Jim, what do you open a 24-hour horror film marathon with? Well, Patrick, this might surprise you, but
2: I was thinking Bob Clark's death dream would be a killer. Death dream? Opener for this festival that's that's, that's i want to make en- people watch at noon i want to engage the audience they fucking just want- ate their, sa-
0: their turkey sandwich and they <laughs> have to watch death <laughs> dream yeah
2: i want to see their reaction early on uh, like i know
0: some people might go it's kind of a late night film right you know, i always think of bob clark as late night movies yeah children shouldn't play with dead things black christmas this i want them
2: to be lucid for this experience i, I even, think it's a I phenomenal piece think of of a christmas
0: story as being a late night movie I think just because it's placed 24 hours and the first time I ever saw it was, like, when it started at 10 p.m. or whatever. But like, Sure, sure. I just think of Bob Clark. I mean, like, Baby Geniuses, too. It's just fucking, you know, that's a dark I wanted to surprise people. Death Dream. So, this (laughs) is, I, so, here's what I want to do with this segment, is I want to make, I want us to collaborate, right? So, I want to go off of your energy. You open a fucking marathon with Death Dream. Mm Mm-hmm. Hey, uh, a, a all shot. you all you lighthearted little horror fans who wanted to come and have a good time and laugh and Mm-mm. and throw gummy bears at the fucking <laughs> screen, um, no, fuck you. Yeah, Death Dream, bring it. You know what? Don't you, don't whiss out on this thing. That's Do right. it. That's right. You know what happens next after Death Dream? Angst. <laughs> oh my God, what are we doing <laughs> to people? We're trying to kill them all. The German fucking serial killer. Uh, uh, formal uh, tour de force. Can I go to Australia next? I think it's Australia. What do you follow up angst with from Australia?
2: Next of kin. A film that I think is really a slow burn of sorts. Oh. And then that last act just rules. There's a moment where the camera does something Sam Raimi-esque and I get a boner. Yeah. And I'm like, this is my jam. Thank you.
0: Vaguely I you you paid money to a food bank in order for me to Review watch it. this movie, yeah. and then I sort of unfortunately watched it on a day where I was not prepared to watch it. But but there's some kind of crazy explosion that happens at the end of the movie. That too. Inside of like a like a convenience store or something. Yeah. Okay. That's all good. So what we have is A the horrors of Vietnam and the trauma <laughs> of returning veterans and the trauma of the the loved ones who are left to pick up the pieces, dovetailing into one of the most <laughs> horrific depictions of the psychopath mind in one of the most uh formally dazzling uh ways ever invented. And then we're moving into a different mode, right? We're moving into a slow burn Yeah, uh, I want
2: them to chill a little like, bit kind of
0: ghost story yeah. feel to it. Yeah. Um, but still, kind of a bummer. So Phil. here's what I want to do: I want to ramp up the energy because um, at this point, this is our fourth film. So at this point, we are now uh, somewhere around 8 p.m. or whatever. Okay, people are coming back from dinner. People people have gotten hot dogs in the theater. I, I think there should be a hot dog cart. Personally, That'd if I'm okay. running an event, I sure, got a guy sure. with a hot dog cart and the dirty hot dog water. And he's got some relish if you want I
2: it. I want fresh, soft pretzels, please. Fresh,
0: okay. Well, we can get these soft pretzels too. Yeah. No pretzel dogs, though. That's that's a blasphemy. Mm. So it's 8 p.m. You've had your soft pretzel in one hand and your hot dog in the other. And I'm going to make you feel bad, but you're <laughs> going to feel bad. This is like Michael Haneke's phone. High energy. We're moving into the Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2. Oh, no. The movie everybody loves but me. Okay, I'll give you a choice. Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2, or also high energy, also feel bad hit, also needs to be seen to be believed, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, The New Generation.
2: Oh, God. Well, I don't know. That's a tough call.
0: I'm, I'm, I, I leave it in your capable hands
2: what would people have more fun with seeing Matthew McConaughey and it's going to be Dennis Ho- it's going to
0: be the one with Dennis Hopper this, this, yeah, okay so I'll Texas watch Kansas it I'll watch it again
2: yeah with the crowd yeah yeah for sure maybe I'll like it more
0: mm mm-hmm. that, oh. that movie qualifies as a good time <laughs> after fucking next of kin I'm gonna give you we're a, on film five I'm gonna give you a choice
2: between two lakes now one is very long And I don't think it's considered a horror
0: movie. (laughs) Look, it's our festival. No one's going to tell us no.
2: But I think it has some freaky-ass moments. Hit me. Under the Silver Lake. Okay. Versus Lake Mungo, which I think I know the answer to this one (laughs) after saying it aloud. I'm like, oh, which one would Patrick choose? (laughs) (laughs) They're they're very different.
0: There's some... I'm I'm I look I'm glad you love it, oh,
2: I do.
0: but we are programming a horror film festival. Yeah,
2: you're right. I know. So I know. Lake Mungo I just want to watch next. on
0: the big screen. It's just be me and Mike Angelo. So 10 p.m. Lake Mungo happens. We are now at midnight, right? Yeah, mm. you hear a little. You hear a little off to the side. You're gonna. You're getting people. Are we gonna put them?
2: Are we gonna wake them up? We, or are we the, gonna lull the people. Them to look the dreamland. the
0: non-believers. The fucking uncommitted. They've they've left for the night. Maybe they have their little wristbands. They might come back, but the the diehards are here.
2: Yeah, I'm usually not one of those. <laughs> I feel bad, but Some I always people sleep
0: are a little sleepy. In, that's like, fine. Yeah, gotta, that's fine.
2: You are. What I you, always worry that I'm gonna snore too loud and disturb people. That's anyway. Funny.
0: All right. Midnight movie. Let's go with Mask of the Red Death. Okay. Mask of the Red right Death at Midnight.
2: Possibly stay up for, but if I lull into a dream, right. that's cool too.
0: Right, for sure. It's very psychedelic.
2: How about a movie that is yet to play on any big screen anywhere? I am the pretty thing that lives inside the house. Beautiful.
0: What a great choice. This is a movie when you start at two AM I you were know. telling everybody, <laughs> look.
2: You can go to sleep if you need to, and I understand. But we understand. We we know what the
0: fuck this is. Yeah. I'm the pretty thing that lives in the house. Great choice. Now we're at 4 a.m. We're going to fucking kick the door open. They usually do that, yeah. Motherfucker, here we are. You know what? You know how squirm opens? Oh, man. Lightning storm. (laughs) (laughs) Like fucking crazy screams (laughs) of like close-ups of blood worms and they're like weird hook mounts. You're going to have to tape my
2: eyes open. 'Cause I don't think I'm gonna watch this one. What's
0: the fucking worm face guy? The guy gets the this. worms in his no face? no no no. God damn squirm is it? I fucking don't like things AM. that just
2: crawl around and squirm and wormy and gross and slimy.
0: Motherfuckers
3: I mean. wake up
2: I wonder if people are gonna think you're yelling at them outside. Um Squirm happened. But I wanna watch some Hellraiser. Hellra Hellbound. Two Hellraiser yes. two. Yes, 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 yes. Ooh, the best Hellraiser. Yeah. I don't think I've seen it on the big screen. Me neither. I feel like it must have played the music box of horrors at some point, I just didn't see it. It's, I would I mean I guess it's possible it hasn't, but right. it just feels like one of those that they would have. That movie's maybe. so
0: fucking metal. God damn. That's Hellraiser that's like two a good great. caffeine rush of a yeah, movie. Yeah, for sure. And if you if Squirm didn't wake you up, fucking Hellraiser 2 will. <laughs> oh yeah, it better. So now or we're something's at, wrong with you. Now we're at eight AM and we are operating on a different fucking level now. Remember, this has not been a film festival. At this point, anyone who bought their ticket... By the way, we didn't announce the movies ahead of time. People showed up, and they didn't realize they were in for a bad time. But everyone now knows what the fuck it is. And so when I say The Hills Have Eyes... Mm. Which, I think the movie opens, and it's kind of like dawn. Like, the movie is over the course of a crazy fucking 24 hours, and I think it's in the morning is the opening shot of that movie.
2: Oh, man. I think my next one will be perfect then.
0: I think Hell's Have Eyes is the perfect combination of feel bad and everybody cheers at the end because it's got like crazy West Craven booby trap. <laughs> oh yeah, 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 yeah. Totally. Yeah, yeah. Um so we got two uh two more. <sighs> hit hit me with that hit me with that uh eight AM rush. I've only seen this
2: once. I'm pretty sure it takes place in the desert and it's fucked up.
0: Or Wh- no ten A yeah, no, go ahead. Anyway.
2: <laughs> Why
0: did the eye? Yeah, Arizona Horror. Yeah, it's American Giallo. Oh God! Wait, that movie was, is
2: so crazy. It's <laughs> wow.
0: White of the Eye is a morning eye opener. That is two shots of espresso in your fucking coffee. White of the Eye. What a film! We have one capper. It's gotta be you. It's, you own this. Mm-hmm. What's the fucking craziest movie we can edit this on? We have already programmed the worst most horrific horrible festival that has ever lived. But these are all movies I want to see on the big screen. No, no, for sure. This is going to be the people the heads know. I'm just saying like the like someone is going to bring their partner. Like, you know, <laughs> like they like there's a woman who who knows that all these movies are the shit, but she drags her fucking girlfriend here and then her girlfriend's like why the fuck did you bring me to this fucked up film festival where mm. I saw worms crawl in a guy's face, and I that was that was the nicer movie. Okay, so the way to end this is
2: <laughs> on a high note, all right, something maybe something
0: fun. Men behind the sun. <laughs> is that the name of the movie? I have not even seen what this is, film. What? I'm what? programming this movie so I can watch it I for the first time. Men behind the sun is literally meaning black sun, also some kind man behind the sun, is a nineteen eighty eight Hong Kong historical exploitation horror film directed by T F. Mao, not to be confused with F. W. Murnau. <coughs> The film is a graphic depiction of the war atrocities committed by the Japanese at Unit 731, a secret biological weapons experimentation unit of the Imperial Japanese Army during World War II. It details the various cruel medical experiments Unit 731 inflicted upon the Chinese and Soviet prisoners towards the end of the war. It was the first film to be rated Category 3, equivalent of NC-17 in Hong Kong. The film f- garnered further controversy for use of what Mao claims to be actual autopsy footage of a young boy and also a scene in which a live cat appears to be thrown into a room eaten alive by thousands of rats. You're not going to get me to watch that. However, in the 2010 documentary Black Sunshine Conversation with T.F. Mao, Mao stated the cat was tired after participation in the film and got two fish as a reward. And then the cat was made wet with honey and the rats were just (laughs) licking and eating the honey off it. So this is one of those (laughs) super fucked up movies that is just sort of a litany of terrors. And I think everyone who is still in that theater after the film festival we just programmed, I think there will be a. We talked about theatrical experiences. I think there will be a joint sort of. Oh my god! What the fuck is happening? Out of body experience when we end with Men Behind the Sun. Also, Men Behind the Sun. Not a horror movie.
2: Not. I wasn't thinking so, but it sounds horrific. It is horrific. Yeah, I was. I was going to say Eraserhead for some reason, but that's okay. This this works. Eraserhead,
0: is on Criterion. Like, like uh, I'm, not, I'm, not saying, I'm not saying a Razorhead isn't... I do want to see it on the big screen. ...breaking ground. I'm not saying I don't want to see a Razorhead on the big screen. I'm saying the only way to end this fucked up film festival that you decided to start with Death Dream... It <laughs>
2: comes full circle. <laughs> it comes full circle. I, sure.
0: you, decided, you decided to start with Death Dream. Jim just shrugs like, yeah, fuck them. They bought their tickets. They know what they're getting into. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Men behind the sun. Okay. All right. Hey, Jim. We're ending. Congratulations on programming the worst fucking film festival in history. Or is it
4: the best? I get knocked
0: down! This next segment is called Now it's time to say goodnight and is how we end this podcast this fucking marathon you've sat through is this five hours? Is this even
2: longer? It might be. I'm shocked if people have been it the whole way through.
0: Jim... This is the dumbest thing we ever recorded. Um, I don't know, is but it? I have to say, <laughs> the reason we recorded it is because I love you. Same, and I'm happy you you were born, and I'm happy that you're still here. And I think I am. I am a different person than I would have been if I had never met you, and I am a better person than I would have been if I have if I never met you. And I wanted to celebrate your birthday, so we put this together. And whether or not wow. anyone other than me and you enjoyed it <laughs> <laughs> remains to be
2: seen. But I'll be look- looking like in about, I don't know, 15 years, I'll listen back and think, wow, what were no, we thinking? It would be my reaction to right. like listening to the play we
0: had on the cassette. Yeah, you'll listen to it and you'll be like, wow. And then Patrick went on and he assassinated the president. <laughs> I never would have thought. I didn't see that one coming. We were having such a good time. I don't see anything coming anymore. It's just—it's all a shit show. It's chaos. Jim, no one has gotten to the end of this podcast, but if they did, do you have anything you'd like to say to them?
2: Well, I I truly appreciate you, Patrick, for putting this together, first of all. Oh, thank you. And your friendship is very important to me and valuable and wonderful. And it's incredible that it's become what it is. Yeah. uh, We're still here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I was like, do I want to be friends with somebody who threw up in the back of my car or not? <laughs> On uh, your sweater, nonetheless. Yeah. And I was like, oh, why not? <laughs> he's pretty cool. And he, and he knows how to talk. And uh, yeah, he's got good taste, mostly. Mostly. So uh, yeah, no, you're a great guy. He, he does you. like
0: Devil's Rejects, but I can't hold it against him.
2: Mm, yeah. A lot of people do. Yeah, It's okay. We're good. And... I'm okay, and I'm just going to take some time to rest and recuperate and, you know, get some more exercise, go for more walks, Mm -hmm. watch a little less movies, and not host a podcast until about August, hopefully. Yeah. We'll see. Uh, You know, my mom had a little spill and some pneumonia, and I worried about her health, and I want to make sure she gets back to normal and, uh, you know, help her out, possibly help her move. So a lot of this is all going to be in the works. So Patrick's going to take over for the next three months. And yeah. we'll see how it goes. We'll see how it goes. Jim. Thank you again. This was great.
0: I had a blast.
2: What a, what a joyful birthday present. We'll see you at directorsclubpodcast.com. Send us an email, at gmail.com. Thank you, everyone. We'll, I'll be back definitely later in the summer. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I'll it. be sober.
0: So. If I could live my
2: life
0: as as you would.
1: I'm convinced that I wind up burning too
0: Or whatever. Oh man, you know who would be know. good at this?
2: So, Michelle Gondry who? would be
0: the best. He would win. Oh, Michelle Gondry. Michelle Gondry is so extra. Michelle Gondry gets shoved into every fucking locker because he's so fucking like. He just, like every time there's any project where it's like a group project, he's like, I'll do it myself. What I did is I filled a balloon with mirrors and when you pop it, it takes a picture of a three-dimensional image <laughs> and it is me and I am riding a rocket ship and everyone's just like, shut up, Michelle Gondry. And I show him in a locker.
1: we love.